slight of foot there. Wednesday, and you know what that means? Welcome to episode 45 of the ABZ Football Podcast. Back in the hot seat, I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week is Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Fine, thank you. Obviously, delighted to relive, relive the season that will never end, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Um, yes, welcome to the ABZ FP. The only podcast in Scottish football, I'm 99.9% sure that referenced Casablanca last week because this is a classy show, but uh, just wait till we you see what we have for you this week. Absolutely. Hashtag we ride again. I guess actually, first of all, guys, um, I, t- I don't tend to listen to our show after we record it because why would I want to go back and listen to ourselves for another three hours after having been involved in it first time round? Um, but obviously, due to my absence last week, and I know that you boys were having a lot of fun at Trias. You know, cast dispersions as to my whereabouts. Um, I did have a little peek on the show, and uh, well done, boys. It didn't have the hint of substitute teacher vibes that you were you were worried about. Certainly not the substitute teacher vibes I was used to at school. Anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> that's always good to hear because you're always telling us this takes ages and it's really difficult. But I think Gavin and I proved that that's just not the case. <laughs> anyway, listen. Hey, in a week that saw the brave bears of Sevco survive a UEFA plot to kill them in Seville, no, no, seriously, that saw Rafael Santos Bore become Aberdeen's second favourite Colombian after David Gonzalez, that saw Hearts put in the most insipid of cup final displays since the Dons' 2017 League Cup appearance, and that saw prize wanker Ashley Barnes's Burnley relegated out of the English Premier League, it's another busy episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as we decide to pop our collective testicles into the vice once more and we grind out part one of our deep dive into our horrendous 2021-22 campaign. And of course, gents, well-manicured balls in those vices as well. Thanks, Manscaped. After the break, we're joined by our man in Spain, friend of the show, diehard Dons fan, Graham Hunter, as we bookend the campaign with a man who joined us all the way back on episode one to see where he thinks things have gone wrong this season. Here we go. Part one, the 2021-22 campaign, the horror show. But first, before we get into that, gents, does anyone have any desire to talk about the Ross McCrory saga from the past week. <laughs> I prefer not to speak. I don't have anything to add. It is what it is. And of all the people to be piling on, the guy who I think has given 100% throughout the season is not the guy to be picking on. There are other guys in that team could be called out for attitude, etc. So uh, I would just draw a line under it personally. Yeah. I see where people are coming from, but yeah. to me... It's much of a muchness. I don't really think it's going to make any difference to his attitude next season, for example. No, I, it's one of these, isn't it? Like, I, I totally get it. It's a bad look. It's not a great look. And I would have liked to have thought that McCrory was maybe a bit more sensible to even like allow himself to get photographed alongside somebody in, in Seville, as he did initially. He's going to do it, do it on the QT. 
try not to kind of raise attention to it. I'm looking at you, Clark Robertson, supposed Aberdeen fan, boarding a flight out of dice in full fucking Rangers gear. Um, McCrory's also got a little bit unlucky in the sense that that guy Thogden is, is what I want to call me. You know, the guy, the video blogger, was videoing the game and he was like three rows behind McCrory and that's where a lot of people have seen the footage of McCrory like celebrating goals and stuff like that. And Listen, it's not a great look and we all all have our, you know, Sevco Rangers Mark 1. They are the team that every Aberdeen fan will despise the most in the league and they are the team that we all want to lose at any opportunity um, going and it's not a great look and it's, it's, it's difficult... I think for people to try and suggest that we can somehow only like like sign Aberdeen supporters or something going forward is just like I'd love that to be the case. I'd love to have a team of eleven boys born in Aberdeen, Aberdeen supporters, almost like the athletic Bilbao approach or something like that. But realistically, it ain't gonna happen anytime soon. Careful what you wish for because the pool's relatively small. <laughs> so one of the three of us might get near that team, and I can absolutely assure you. Your your keyboard would be worn out with uh, <laughs> typing up your responses to our performances. So, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, like he's never he's never made out to be an Aberdeen fan, for example. And then all of a sudden, this is a big surprise. We all know where he's from, who he's played for. His brother still plays for them, I think. Yeah. So it's not really a huge surprise. It's a lot. The only thing, yeah, I guess the only surprise is given that the club's quite controlling in a lot of matters that they wouldn't sort of give him a bit of a pep talk around, look, might sound daft, but just make life easy for yourself. But starting Yeah, there. I think he's got unlucky as well from the perspective that the camera was right behind them, uh, seen him celebrating the goals and stuff, and that, again, it's not a great look, and it, it does, you know, it, it allows people to raise questions about commitment and all that kind of stuff. I mean, for me, I've not seen anything out of Ross McCroy to indicate that he's never going to give 100% for the team who he's playing for at any given time. You know, it's not so he's shirked playing against Rangers this season um, when we played them, you know, it's one of these things, it's, it's very unfortunate, it's not ideal, it looks terrible. Um, Jim Goodwin's got a massive issue about trying to even, if, if Goodwin decided to try and like have an issue about this, he can't really, given where he's been pictured in, in the not-so-recent past. So, but yeah, all I will these... say, McCrory didn't go off with cramp once or twice against his former team the season <laughs> just passed, did he? Not that I noticed, I can't recall. And we might come on to it during the deep dive, but hey. Um, fingers crossed, I mean, at the end of the day, McCrory is not going anywhere, let's be honest. He's, he's on a healthy contract. We're not going to be paying this off, so he's going to be here next season. Um, it's going to be one of these things that I think people have to draw a line under and um, swiftly move on from, I think. Anyway, that's one way to end a season, isn't it? Let's let's go all the way back here for, for part one here of this deep dive on, on last season. And I guess... <clears throat> Let's be honest, the story starts all the way back at the close season, doesn't it? I guess in a way the story starts at the end of last season, actually. Yeah, well, a disappointing 2020-21 campaign sees us eventually finish in fourth spot. <laughs> Seven points behind Hibs. Calling that a disappointing season after all we've just had. Yeah, well... We'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, Hibs finishing in third with seven points behind. But we had new manager Stephen Glass in situ. Europa Conference League football to look forward to. Well, qualifying rounds as per. Um, and that, there was a sense of optimism, wasn't there, a little at, at the back end of last season amongst most, most people, especially with, you know, the likes of Scott Brown, Declan Gallagher had already signed up on pre-contract agreements. Um, Alan Russell had already come into the club. You know, he had a huge pedigree of um, being part of the England coaching staff that had um, 
done well at the last World Cup. Um, and then Stephen Glass's backroom team was also bolstered by the arrival of uh, Henry Apelou. And I think that was the reaction that most people had when Henry joined as well. And still to this day, I'm not entirely sure what Henry Apelou was doing. But... I think the reaction was, Gavin, if you can insert the, type, the sound of someone furiously typing his name into Google, <laughs> I think that was the reaction that uh, everyone in Aberdeen gave to that. So it was um, a strange one. And finding very little in way of information upon that search. I think as well, like guys, I don't know about you, but I remember at the time, you know, when 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 the rumors about Glass taking on the job were, were, were coming out initially, all of the reports at the time were the fact that the backroom team was going to be Alan Russell and Scott Brown. And it seemed at the time like a bit of a coup to be getting Alan Russell. Like I say, he'd been part of that England setup, was had been doing very well um within that setup, apparently. Uh, it, it appeared on the face of it to be quite a coup to be get landing him. Um, he was going to be keeping on his England gig as well. And I think a lot of us looked at that and thought, okay, that's a, a bold move we've made there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, England had done well, as much as that was uh, pretty stressful at times when they were doing well. Anyone who's part of that, let's be realistic, you would expect to be in demand and is a pretty good, or was quite an encouraging sign that someone like Aberdeen could actually attract someone from that sort of setup and would look at Aberdeen and think, yeah, that's a good stepping stone in my career. So it did feel like a bit short on the arm. And of course, Russell joined initially with Glass in March, didn't he? Now, anyone that was scratching their head around why it was that Alan Russell had decided to make the move to Aberdeen. Gavin's looking quizzically about this. Did he join that early? Yeah, Alan Russell was in. Alan Russell was in towards the back end of last season. I still yeah. remember him coming in the summer. No, he was. there was pictures of him in Glass at Cormac Park when he first came in. But anyway... All of the mysteries about why Alan Russell decided to take a gig at Aberdeen soon kind of came out of the woodwork on the 12th of May. So we're not even that far into close season. I think we're about two or three days in. And when it transpired on the 12th of May last season uh, that Alan Russell had agreed to let his drunk brother drive his car, Russell himself being drunk at the time as well, and in the passenger seat, uh, his brother then proceeded to smash this into an ambulance driver returning from a night shift. Ambulance driver required to be airlifted to hospital with paramedics performing CPR, had some horrendous injuries. This leads to Alan Russell having to quit his role with England. The Dons having to rush out a hastily put together statement stating that they were going to stand by Russell despite apparently being unaware of the incident until it became public knowledge on the 12th of May. So, lads, good going. Cracking due diligence there. Based on some of the stuff that's happened and decisions have been made, it's entirely possible that they didn't know, which is not a good statement of affairs. Um, either way, it's not. It's certainly not a good look. And yeah, I have absolutely no time for people who get involved in that kind of behaviour. So early doors, it was strike one against this guy for me. Absolutely. And speaking about that type of behaviour, Ashley Barnes, he's another one. Just want to go back on Ashley Barnes again. Total fucking nugget. Drink driver as well. Enjoy the championship, Ashley. Anyway, Stephen Gunn. He was promoted internally to the role of director of football on the 20th of May, 2021, as the Dons unveiled a brand new look footballing operation structure, which included searching out a new head of recruitment. Now we might come on to that a little bit later, chaps. Next in the door, J. Emmanuel Thomas, signing from Livingston in a set of transactions that, in a roundabout kind of way, saw Bruce Anderson head for West Lothian. The big man signing a two-year deal wait for it, manager Stephen Glass stated that Jet would bring lots of attacking flexibility as we looked to add more firepower. Can you remember what you thought about Jet joining? I wasn't thinking flexibility. 
No, it's not the word I would tend to use yet. <laughs> um, okay, let's be entirely honest. I think at that point, off the back of his latter performance at Livingston, specifically against Aberdeen, and knowing the credentials he had, you know, coming through Arsenal as a young player under Wenger, I thought he he was making all the right sounds that he realized this was his kind of last big opportunity. I think he's about 30, 31, and maybe recognizing that the Scottish world would work well for him and the setup would work well for him. And uh, yeah, I was genuinely quite excited about him. I honestly can't remember what I said. I think we're, he come off the back of a decent season and he is he is still a decent footballer. So I was probably thinking, okay, to supplement other guys that I assume we're going to sign, does give you another option and he is quite good. And if he's, if he's not necessarily scoring lots, I did think he would contribute from an attacking point of view or a creative point of view. So it wasn't the most exciting signing, but it certainly wasn't at that point, uh-oh, the warning signs are there. I wasn't expecting the 20-plus goals. Well, yeah. But I expected maybe 10 and, yeah, to create a whole lot more than he did. He looked good. At, he looked okay at Livingston, surrounded with better players, in theory. Should make him a better player as well. I think it was up. Most people were probably not expecting that he was going to be, like, one of only two strikers we'd actually go into the season with. Definitely not. That's what I'm saying. When, when you're thinking, right, he's one of your options, probably not necessarily a first-team regular from in that context, then, yeah, it's not the worst backup to have because he does offer something different. And surely your plan B can't be just fresh legs. You know, it should be something different. So it was starting to, well, at the time, it looked like it might make a degree of sense. Next up, Lewis Ferguson decided to, you know, end the last season on a high by handing in a transfer request uh, after the Dons had turned down a move to Watford, which queued up Derek Ferguson and Bill McMurdo acting out in public some of the more hilarious tantrums that, you're ever likely to see. Zoe Ogilvie, PR guru, appointed to the board as a non-exec on the 3rd of June. And it's fair to say, lads, I think you'll agree with me on this one, that that's seen a positive uptick in the club's reputation management and public relations over the last 12 months. Aye, something like that. I don't think the section of the show covers the main blunder, so uh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I think we might come back to that. Niall McGinn, he signs a new 12-month deal uh, at this point in the summer as well. We might come back on to Niall at some point, I guess, uh, later in the later in the in, in, in this segment. Gav's got his head in his hands as we speak right now. Next up, incoming England Youth International, Terry Jenks, joining on a season-long loan from Brighton and Hove Albion at the time. Most Brighton fans told us that they couldn't really tell you what sort of player Teddy Jenks was, and 12 months on, I'm still not entirely sure. I think that's fair. At times, he had a decent strike on him, sort of reasonably well built. He was quite quick. Like He did quite a few things reasonably well, but not necessarily all combining them in a game into an obvious role. So at times when he came on, you'd be like, oh, that's okay, he's coming on, but where's he going? Oh, I didn't really think he was going to go there because he didn't go there last week. So, yeah, he just seems like a guy who's a good footballer, but not really sort of in a team, if that makes sense. Like, it's not really a role he fits into. I bet he'd do all right at fives. Oh, yeah, exactly. He'd love to have him at fives because he's a big lad. No one's getting the ball off him, and he's pretty good with the ball at his feet. I'll get the ball off. I know how to, I know how to like, man-mark and play like that now. Yeah, <laughs> I've got that. I have the back heel tackle, that'll do it. Um, okay. Who did I take the ball off last week with that? It worked. It worked anyway. There we go. I remember you spending a lot of time on the ground like a turtle on its shell. Still got the ball. Still got the ball. The spinner. Um, the spinner. 
Um, again, I think I think Taddy captain England at young a young level. I don't know if he was Brighton Hove Albion's captain at under twenty three level, wasn't he? Possibly, yeah. I think you looked at it again. You know, Brighton are a team that under Potter play football that was sort of in synergy with what we nice. were with what we were being uh, presented with the uh, philosophy. We'll definitely come back onto that as this goes on. <laughs> Fucking right, we will. Yeah, then I think I say if, if that's what Brighton fans were saying at the time, twelve months later, I can't give them any any hint on what kind of player he is either. Um, good things going for him, but um, I think like Graham says, a good player, but not not fitting any kind of system we had. And uh, I think that again might be a recurring theme through our recruitment here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, absolutely. And we'll come on to the whole recruitment debacle. I think later on at this point i tell you what the biggest news of the summer 18th of june rob wicks's much sought after single sign-on initiative finally went live positive eh boys i'll take your word for it i honestly don't know what what difference i like I, i'd kind of forgotten that happened so yeah i can he's still talking about it he's still banging on about it they did an interview not long ago on red tv and he was like ah oh, you know we've got the, the single sign-on sort out this last year and you're like that was almost a year ago and also Nobody gives a shit. I'm quite happy to sign in on multiple platforms if my team's winning the league and I'm winning like cups. I don't really give a shit about stuff like this. Yeah, I don't mind signing into a different platform to sort of, you know, re- watch the reruns of us winning the league. I could have lived with that, but here we go. Yeah, next up, the Dons look stateside with the arrivals of Jack Kerr, a 25, 25 year old. English right back, signed from Atlanta United 2 or 1, hard to tell which one it was. He'd arrived at Aberdeen having made the grand total of one professional appearance in his career before joining Aberdeen. Bearing in mind, we let Shea Logan depart from Aberdeen in the close season before, which I don't have a massive issue with. I think Shea's time at Aberdeen could probably come to an end, but you're letting a very experienced right back go and you're going into the new season with a burgeoning Calvin Ramsey and a guy who's played once in his entire professional career at the age of 25. If I may. Yeah. Graham, let's play a game of who said this. <laughs> I think people may underestimate Jack, but fans will like what they see when they see him. Jack is going to be a big addition for us. It wasn't me and it wasn't you. <laughs> and it wasn't me either. We'll come on to that in a minute. The answer is kind of tragic. Yeah. And then we break out all the stops and bring in Christian Ramirez, a US international striker coming in from Houston on a two-year deal. Gavin's doing quote marks about the US international striker bit here. Two caps, wasn't it? Gets Panama. Two more caps than I have. <laughs> Fair point. I mean, I, I I don't qualify for the US, obviously. I need to put that in out there. But, um, but you'll also enjoy this. Uh, the new striker joining and commenting that he was ready to give this club, club, my all. Right up until the moment he arrived. He obviously uses the word club and Stephen Glass synonymously. <laughs> Two days after the arrivals of Ger and Ramirez, Stephen Glass and Stephen Gunn sit down for a Q&A uh, that was broadcast on Red TV, where Glass stated that the Aberdeen fans will be pleasantly surprised by Jack Ger, whose signing was already being questioned in some quarters, it's fair to say. And I think, Gavin, you've also provided the extended, uh, the extended quotation there. This I was definitely surprised by him. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> in that interview as well, there was a lot of talk about the philosophy and, um, or oh, so the quote unquote philosophy and everything else that went with it, the structure, how we weren't going to bring in what was it again, squad fillers for recruitment, all that kind of good stuff. 
Um, I remember watching that interview and being quite enthused actually at the time by it. It's it's funny how twelve months can change your view on everything, isn't it? Twelve months, close on twelve months. I think by about three months, I was thinking, "What the fuck are we doing here?" <laughs> Jokes aside, obviously we have the benefit of you know the, the seasons passed, so you can look back with a slightly different lens on some of these conversations and interviews. But I don't think you were alone at the time in sort of enjoying a slightly different approach and what they were talking about doing and the chat around you know specifically not squad fillers and stuff like that maybe it was just because it was something different but I don't think you were alone in sort of buying into it it's it's a tricky one jokes aside you kind of have to if you I guess it's just the way the internet goes but like when glass comes in if you don't in one camp if you don't get right behind the manager no matter what he says you're not a fan get behind the manager etc etc and then on the other on the other side of it it's like, ah, he's an idiot, shouldn't sack this guy, shouldn't have done that. So it's always this sort of slightly tricky position. But I was, um, I don't think I was 100% on board, but I was certainly, I'd be lying if I was saying it was all uh, all nonsense and I could see through it. I think we're all prepared to give it a chance, weren't we? Absolutely. Go back and listen to episode one. I think we were all in a place of, let's see where we go. You know, I think we were all enthused about something new. I think collectively the three of us, we would all agree that, you know, we laughed about the time about our various different approaches to football and how we all view the game. I think even, you know, Graham, you know, we, we kind of laughed about the time and you're, you're much more pragmatic and you just want the team to win and you're not too bothered about how we actually get there and how you get three points on the board. But even you were bored out your tits watching the dying embers I, of McInnes. Yeah, I, I, no, I absolutely, absolutely was. I think it took me longer to... Yeah, to get there. Yeah, to, to reach my, my breaking point because I'm less concerned what it looks like. So, yeah, I think um, we were all, something had to change and this was a change. I had reservations as to how we got the job, which you might come on to, but it was a change and we were all buying into it. So probably have to fess up to that. The avoidance of doubt, yeah. It was, it was, time, it was time for everyone to have a clean break. Derek McInnes included. Definitely, absolutely. And um, Gav, fair play to you, mate. I, I have to point this out for you taking the time and putting putting your sanity on the line by watching an open goal oh, yeah. interview in its entirety to give everybody on Twitter who follows us um, the deep dive on that interview, which which meant no one else had to sit and watch Slaney. Let it not be said that we are afraid of the hard yards. And, Absolutely uh, not. I'm scared of the hard yards. When I saw Paul Slane, I was like, oof, this is going to be a slog at times. But uh, to be fair, there's not really much in it. If I'm being brutally honest, he is clearly um, not either willing or allowed to talk as openly as he can. Because I imagine it's an hour and 20 minutes long, and I imagine you can talk about Ronnie Hernandez for about 80 minutes. An hour and 20 minutes? What fucking part-timers. I know, right? Amateurs. I was just thinking about that. Like We're on on episode 45 here, but we've probably turned out about 120 episodes worth of material, I think. I don't think that's unfair. At the bare minimum, 90. Probably close to 100, yeah. I think it's 120. Not that we're patting ourselves in the back, then, but you know, but we are. Um, but hey, next up, Scott Brown's appointed in inverted commas team captain. Uh, Joe Lewis continuing as inverted commas club captain, and um, made absolutely fucking no sense to me then. Still makes no sense to me now. It was just titles that were allocated without any <laughs> real explanation of what it actually meant. So uh... it, it seemed to me to be. Scott's the captain, but we can't we can't be seen to be stripping Joe of the captaincy. So we'll pretend Joe's the captain for 
like some shite and Scott will be the boy that takes us out in the pitch was what it basically was but it's like just do it just like take if you're taking the captaincy off of Lewis take the captaincy off of him I'm a big believer that you don't need the armband to be a leader and Scott Brown was part of the coaching staff so that seemed like an unnecessary move that was only potentially going to ruffle feathers but hey after all the talk after all the transfers after our giddy episode one it was, it was just got giddier actually um before you knew it, the new season's up and running. 23rd of July, a tough-looking Europa Conference League qualifying round two draw against, and it's European football, so I can I can use this phrase, Swedish cracks. Bal Klub and Hecken looked a tough tie on paper. I think we were all a bit wary about how that was going to pan out. Lots of good players, international experience. A lot of players that played at a high level. I think uh, Christopher and Jonas came on and joined us that first episode yep. and they gave us the breakdown and told us it wasn't going to be easy and uh, yeah I was nervous very nervous I think you going in I think we were all a bit like I don't know what, what to expect here but hey Bow Club and Hecken visit Pataudry a glorious summer evening slightly reduced crowds still Covid was still a thing at this point I'm not saying Covid is not a thing I'm not going on Matt Leticia but the Swedish cracks dispatched by five goals to one Andy Considine with the opener, a brace from Lewis Ferguson, a debut goal for Christian Ramirez. Jack Gurr came off the bench and looked competent. Conor McLennan scored a fucking goal. Funzo King Ojo started in an inside left position and looked fucking brilliant in it. Jet was tearing it up. I mean, I don't know about you, but it left me, you know, pretty giddy about the upcoming season and the advent of glass ball. I sat at home watching it, couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, set us up perfectly. There's debuts for a new management team, players, and quote unquote philosophy go. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? it? Was it was um it was a pretty good start to proceedings. And if anybody listening to this wants a fucking laugh about how this season has gone, go back and listen to episode two, just to see just how excited we'd got about the whole thing at that point. Um, particularly myself, I think I'd got way over the top with it. Um, well, you were probably a victim of actually having been there, weren't you? I was there. It was very intoxicating. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was. You know, I think as well there was a lot. You know, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of emotion around Petoja that night because obviously it was the first game that people had really been back in any sort of numbers at all to the ground for for the best part of two years, and it was brilliant. We, we were fucking superb that night. Really, really good. And you're like, here we go. We're off and running. We are. Because at that point as well, you're thinking, this squad's not even complete yet. We're still going to bring in some players. We look like we are ready to fucking go. But anyway, a week later, um, perhaps brings the first warning sign, an insipid performance in Gothenburg, despite all the romanticism around a return pilgrimage to to the Swedish city. Um, Neil Simpson on the pitch in the Uleve, the announcement that Alex Ferguson's statue was was being commissioned. But we lose 2-0 to progress. 5-3 in aggregate, so we still go through. But it's a it's a really, really, really bad performance, isn't it? And after Hecken got their second goal, we were fucking rattled for a large portion of that second half. And we get really lucky because one of their boys just loses his head and gets sent off. I was going to say, am I misremembering it? Yeah, but one of their players got sent off, didn't they? And that yeah. really let us off the hook there. Yeah. It really did. I think we could have been in proper, you know, and again, it's Alex Ferguson talk, squeaky bum time at that point. Well, I mean, the rest of the season would show that we weren't really up for the fight when we were uh, up yeah. against it. So, um, yeah, we can thank uh, whichever heckin' player it was that night that went off. I can't remember who it was, but we were we were fortunate, I think, that night to to get away with with getting through the tie uh, overall. But anyway, 
overall, though, you've got to be happy. 5-3 on aggregate, progressing into the next round, which is all that matters really in European football. But I do wonder if there were some warring signs just hiding in that heckin' away performance that we didn't really pick up on until probably a couple of months later. I think there were lots of warring signs throughout all the European ties that we didn't maybe weren't aware of how significant they would be until later on in the season. Yeah, I agree about that. But the league campaign, we got off to a good start. A comfortable 2-0 win against Dundee United on the opening day. Thanks to goals from Johnny Hayes and Christian Ramirez again. Another goal, the second goal, Ramirez's goal in particular, coming off the back of some really, really neat work by Calvin Ramsey down the right flank. Mark Danger Man Reynolds is still looking for Calvin Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Friend of the show, but not his finest moment. <laughs> Um, suddenly the new look Dons looked back in business all of a sudden United were fucking honking on the day they were not good and I was at that point thinking they are staring down the barrel of a very very tough season ahead yeah that shows how much you know <laughs> <laughs> to be fair it wasn't just Gad I think we were all collectively thinking United were pretty horrendous that day and uh... yeah no that a rare, a rare moment where I should uh, leap to his defence we were all in the same boat that they looked really, really rubbish. And based on that, I think there was some chat around how good are we really? Because they were so bad. So, you know, we looked good compared to Dundee United that day. But I think it probably was fair to say that we did take a little bit of optimism out of that around, yeah, we're a good football team rather than they clearly just had a really bad day at the office. From what I recall as well, in the aftermath, Tam Courts came out and said words to the effect of, there wasn't much in the game which there was, not just the two goals. I mean, there was two going on, three or four. And at that point in time, of course, it's like he's going to be the figure of ridicule uh, amongst the the new rookie managers and, oh, what to be, what to be. In Stephen Glass's defence, he doesn't sound like Tam Courts. That's all I'm going to say. I'm amazed that Tam Courts has managed to make, to get his team to fourth position in the league with the way he sounds. That's all I'm going to say about it. Someone's going to dig us out about that now, but... Oh well. Um, next up, a trip to Iceland. Fucking COVID, honestly. I know, I know. What? A f- who did we talk to about this at the time? I can't remember who it was, but what a set of fixtures we missed out on over the last two or three years. Oh, we spoke with again Christopher Jonas. We spoke about what a pilgrimage Gothenburg would have been had we been allowed there. Yeah, but even the season before, the Faroes would have been great crack. Oh yeah, Stavanger would have been a piece of cake, obviously, and would have been a great laugh and. You know, it's, it's an hour's flight and it would have been great. Lisbon would have been fucking brilliant. Graham, you and I, we've been at Lisbon before. It's brilliant. We've even been in the way end in the Sporting Lisbon ground. We have, due to your incompetence. We have been indeed. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it is a pity that we missed out on that. Um, and although, well, with inflation through the roof, it's nice of the Dons to not make us fork out this year. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Always looking out for us. Um, and then actually, even last year's campaign would have been brilliant. You're right, return pilgrimage to Gothenburg, Iceland, Reykjavik would have been brilliant. And then uh, Baku, having been there on multiple occasions with my work, Baku's a fucking fantastic city, um, would have been great crack as well. Anyway, first up is that trip to Iceland, a return to the same stadium that Don's very first ever European tie was in the National Stadium in, in Reykjavik. The Don's eventually coming through against Breitablik that night in the first leg by three goals to two. Now, we went two goals up, early goals from Ramirez once again. Lewis Ferguson seemed to put us on easy street after just 11 minutes. But again, and it, I think we probably all missed this to an extent, 
the part time, and let's remember, Braithwaite were part time. Um, they they pulled it back to two two just before half time after some truly honking defending. Um, one thing that, that we all really liked at the start of the season there was some really impressive half time tinkering going on by the management team. We come back out. Ramirez scores straight away after the break. Conor McQuinn had come on and kind of played up top alongside Ramirez and actually did quite well. Um, we end the game 3-2, sets up quite an intriguing home tie. But I think, Gav, you're right. Again, is this one of these moments where the warning signs were kind of flashing and we kind of almost missed them a little bit? I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what the goals that we conceded against Hecken were like. But I do remember thinking, cause at least one of the by the bleak goals was Calvin Ramsey being caught yeah. miles out of his defensive position, which would become a recurring theme, not just for him, but for anyone that basically played fullback uh, throughout the season. And One was a penalty. One was a penalty. Um, oh, I think I remember that. I mean, it was promising first half. I think we scored, I think it was two set pieces we scored from. Two set pieces, um, yeah. Part of the big selling point of Alan Russell was his um, innovative set pieces, and we benefited from that night, so it was good things. But yeah, you began to see that day just how easy we were going to be to score against. Um, and it's fine when you can get three goals and you, you know, opposition scores two, you score three, then it's not as big a red flag. But then, yeah, like you say, warning signs were there for sure. I suppose at that point, though, it's maybe that balance between new players sort of gelling. When When's the sort of point where it would appear that they're just not very good? And when's the point where they're just trying to suss each other out and form a defensive unit? So probably early on, I imagine I was probably saying, like, you know, they're, it's, it's just new teammates, don't worry, this will get sorted. But you know, it would appear that actually no combination of the defenders we had were capable of forming a solid defensive unit for certainly any number of games in a row. It was also the first game, sorry, it was also the first game where I remember Ramsey in particular looking gassed yeah. after about 50, 60 minutes. And you think, you know, okay, 18-year-old guy, he's just kind of still growing, physically maturing. That'll come with time. And I think one of the most galling features of us this season for me has been our the way standards have dropped in terms of our fitness, that we've looked fit at all this season. I think that's one of the, yeah, one of the biggest points that has ultimately cost Stephen Glass his position at Aberdeen. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Do you think as well we perhaps got blindsided a little bit by the failings on the defensive side because we were all expecting us to perhaps be this more expansive attacking threat. So we perhaps were expecting us to be a bit more swashbuckling to an extent. And we're going to score goals. And you know what? We're going to concede goals as well. But it's fine because, you know, at that point in Europe, we've scored eight goals in three games. You know, so you're like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, and we conceded four and uh, sorry, we conceded five and three but you kind of think right well that's how we're going to go we're just going to be this like almost kevin keegan newcastle-esque we might concede four but we're going to score five or six so fuck it and it's going to be a great laugh how we get there you took the comparison right out of my mouth kevin keegan um daniel farka norwich just you know doesn't matter how many goals you concede because we're going to score more that did seem to be the um the way the language was presenting itself as far as what we were going to be in terms of our um yeah approach to football quite simply and that kind of continues a little bit you know our august continues to build and build and we fight back from a goal down courtesy of bruce anderson who else would score it um and we end up snatching all three points at the tony mac due to a, a fine effort from teddy jenks we spoke about him earlier on one thing you can certainly say about teddy jenks technique excellent his two goals for aberdeen are excellent excellent strikes in difficult 
um, difficult situations to score from as well. And then we, 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 we snatch all three points thanks to last-minute effort from Jack McKenzie, which um, Max Strychek might find himself or should have found himself probably in front of the SPFL compliance officer for. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I'm not saying anything, but all of a sudden the Dons are two for two in the league. You follow that up with a 2-1 home victory against Braitha Blick thanks to two goals from Ryan Hedges, which I think were, were they Hedges' first, his first game back? Um, quite possibly. I think it could have been, or maybe he came on his limits, I can't remember, but it was him returning to fitness anyway, really gave us that cutting edge up top again. Suddenly we're through into the playoff round of the Conference League. I know that Dave Cormack made a fucking massive play about this in the interview with Graham Hunter last year about how this meant we'd gone further in Europe than we'd ever done under Derek McInnes, which... I think it was being a little bit churlish, but never mind. Never. <laughs> All eyes are suddenly on that trip to Baku, Azerbaijan, the following Thursday evening. But at this point, so far, so good. I think it's worth mentioning as well, because that night, I think it was there was conditions still for getting to United as far as COVID went. Yes. From what I recall, it was like still limited attendance. And I think yeah. there was also, like you had to wear masks. Yeah. yeah. I think Bridal League was the first game where it was kind of like back to normal in effect. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And that was a special night, I thought. Um, it was a part-time team from Iceland. But I remember when both Ryan Hedges' goals went in, the feeling was pure elation. And yeah, it felt like a really, really positive time to be an Aberdeen fan. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Uh, you just look at the well, we were winning games for... You know, I, I know we'd lost a couple, but we progressed through the ties, which ultimately is the objective... You obviously it was good that there were there were goals, maybe some alarms, alarm bells that we didn't pick up on, but goals we were getting through ties and yeah, maybe a little unfortunate with the Livy goal, but as the season progressed, we didn't necessarily get the fortune from uh, decisions or opposition players, so it was it was pretty good actually when you when you think back, I think we were all. Well, not just the three of us, I imagine most of the fan base was probably reasonably optimistic at how everything had gone, considering new management, some new players. It was um it was all shaping up so well. I mean, math is not my strong point, but yeah, that's five wins from six in the opening games. And like you say, a very new team. Yeah. All looked well. I must go back to that Mackenzie Shaw against Livingston because this is one for the, those of us that play five together, but I've never seen Stuart Robson hit one with his right foot. Yeah. But I think Mackenzie Shaw had roughly the same kind of power Stuart would be able to generate. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone should be looking at Strychek's uh, bank transactions around that kind of time. Yeah. If there was a USD transaction from the Atlanta area around then, then um, hashtag just saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it all looked great at that point. Gav, you're right. Five wins out of six progression in the conference league into the playoff round. We get the draw against Carabag, and you kind of look at that and go, okay, like Carabag are a decent side with decent pedigree, but hey, this is a probably as good a chance as we've got, or good a chance, as good a chance <laughs> as we've had in recent years about making this. You know, it's the first time we have got to play off stage. That's, that, is, that is a fact, factual statement, even though it's a bit churlish to throw out there. Um, you kind of looked at that and thought we could have had a much worse draw, which I think was true at the time when you looked at the teams we could have drawn. There was a real feeling of, we could be onto something here, and hey, let's just see where we go. I seem to recall that the draws were made like so it was like by the league, and then yes. it was going to be Carabag and someone else. Yeah, and I do seem to definitely recall thinking like it's going to be hard still, obviously, but that is the best chance we had, which went you know against 
all the luck we've had in previous years where we've just always gotten the worst draw possible. I feel as though Carabag played, uh, I want to say they played a Cypriot team. And I'm going to have to go and look this up now to just confirm this. I'm sure they played a, a Cypriot side. Limassol. Yeah, and bear in mind, Carabag actually only came, they came through against, they, they came through, they, they played the same number of games as we did. They, they, they beat FC Ashdod of Israel 1-0 on aggregate. And then they beat Limassol 2-1 on aggregate. So, you know, it looked as though they're no real great, they, they have a they, they have a history, they have a pedigree in European competition, Champions League, etc. Um, they've never really got out of the group stages in the Champions League. Uh, they very rarely made the group stages, actually. They've they, they done okay in the Europa League in the, in the seasons before, but it was one of those where we were just like, this is about as good a chance as we could have. It's still going to be tough. Um, a, a Limassol, as we saw against Apollon Limassol a couple of years back, the Cypriot sides are not, they're not terrible. Um, but the fact they were run so closely by Limassol made you at least score, at least it made me go, we have a chance, go out to Baku, get a decent result, bring it back to Tawdry, anything can happen. It was all right. It was it was good. It was good at this point. I'd love to go back and listen to the pod after the Beretha Blit game um, or after the Livingston game to kind of... Yeah, the home leg. The home yeah. leg, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we were very, very optimistic young lambs. And this is where it all starts to go to shit. And I need that just to try and get through this next bit. Next up, after that break of like home game, is a second round League Cup tie against Wraith Rovers at Starks Park. And um, yeah, I just touched on it. We travel to Kirkcaldy in, let's just say it, more than confident, I think, that this should be a relatively routine victory progression into the next round of the League Cup. We're not alone in it. Manager Stephen Glass thinks the same thing. He makes seven changes to the starting lineup. And in fairness, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give some credit to the, the, the team that played that day. The first opening 45 minutes was fine. And um, we played pretty well, as I recall. Jet going his first goal on his way to the promised 20 plus with a a fine strike on 30 minutes. Realistically, it probably should have won goal of the season, but there we go. Um the second half. I kind of feel like I need to channel my inner Clay Davis here. Holy shit. Wraith Rovers equalized just three minutes in after some piss poor work by Jack Gurr, which led to a free kick, which we failed to deal with. Um, that might become a more common theme as we move on. And then Gurr fell asleep with the ball in the box, allowing Zanata to score. And suddenly we're bundled out of the League Cup. Johnny Hayes leaves the pitch, having come on just five minutes earlier in a... In a, in a protective boot and it's like what the fuck happened there i distinctly remember it because it was a week it was a weekend game um for some reason i had band practice the weekend and i saw we'd gone one up jet had scored happy days turned off my phone didn't have a care <laughs> in the world and then um, about an hour later i found out what had happened and then i, I think i saw the the goals via premier sports twitter or whatever and yeah um it was the beginning of the surprise of what Jack Gurr was going to bring to us. Were you pleasantly surprised? I was surprised. So after all of that, it's a long mm. trip to Baku on the Thursday night, which sees us lose 1-0 on the night to Carabag on a pitch that, let's face it, was better suited to tactic growing than playing professional oh, European football man. on. I remember we had Fuad Alekbrov uh, with us to preview, and he talked about the pitch. And he made, and it was like very clear terms, what he thought about the pitch. It was yeah. horrendous and... But you never expect it to be like what that pitch was. It was an absolute disgrace. Absolutely. And a bad night at the office all round is compounded by 
the terrible injury that uh, Andrew Constantine suffers in the first half that sees, obviously, uh, Andrew miss the, the vast majority of the season. And it's one of those, again, it's a kind of what-if scenario. Um, you, you guys touched on it last week against the Mirror. I didn't see the game, but, you know, you guys are saying that Constantine looks alongside Bates was probably a bit as composed and as sure as we've looked at centre-half all season. Fucking strolled it. Absolutely strolled it. Yeah, it's um, it was inevitable someone was going to get hurt that night. Yeah, it was. And it was just, um, you know, it would have been a shame no matter who it was, but the fact it was Considine. <sighs> would it have changed things? I don't know. But um, I guess you can look at it and make a reasonable argument that that basically robbed Andrew Considine of his Aberdeen career. Yeah, potentially. Absolutely. And then I think, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, we travelled to Tynecastle on the Sunday after a turn from Baku, and I, I had the fear. I had the real fear about what might happen to us this day after what happened at Wraith Rovers the week before, because we're still so finely balanced in the conference league tie, you kind of think, does he rest a bunch of guys here? Hearts were unbeaten at this point, going well um, in the league. I had the fear going into this game. This was a great weekend for me. My band were traveling to Edinburgh to do some recording. And the early, we went on the early train and Hibs had played Dundee in the lunchtime kickoff. And we were on like the London train. So we had all these like English holiday makers who were absolutely not expecting the Hibs young team to get on the train at Dundee with their carriots. It was fantastic. As it is, we end up putting in quite a good performance actually at Tynecastle. Um were you there? I was. Uh, they were excellent second half in particular. Yeah, first we half were... was a bit of a much of a muchness. It wasn't much in the game. We looked tired because it must have been yeah. Sunday after we must have just got back basically from yeah. Baku. So they did look a little bit tired, which I think I would have expected, and I thought they might have rested some more players. So first half was a bit, uh, it's not really much going on here. I think Jet came on, I think he came on the tail end of the first half. He did. Someone was injured, I think. Uh, I can't remember who went off. And honestly, that second half was brilliant. I mean, Jet was absolutely outrageous, but outrageous in like a messy, not a girl, sort of outrageous. He was brilliant. <laughs> And the whole team, jokes aside, the whole team, like Ojo was really good, you know, single out a couple of guys that, you know, we'll probably come on to later on. The whole team was great and we got back into it. And that was, because it just had everything. We were, we weren't getting bullied. We seemed to have found another level in terms of the, the fitness and everything. We actually looked quite organised, but we just seemed to, we're just all over hearts. And again, it was going back to, Glass was quite good in those early games of, making sometimes double subs or a halftime change not up or maybe a change in formation. I think we did something similar at halftime yeah. where he looked at it and he's like, right, this isn't working. I'm going to actually change the way we approach the game. And it and it worked. We were we were really, really good. And again, it was all encouraging with the manager making quite radical changes and not really being too afraid to do them, even sometimes in the first half. Yeah, he pulled Jet onto Halliday. And it, uh, glass. Yeah. and it worked a treat. I mean, he absolutely eviscerated Andy Halliday for 45 minutes. I say, word on the street is that in between toasting Rangers Scottish Cup success, Andy Halliday still has nightmares about it. <laughs> um, I think Dean Campbell played left back. He did. Um, again, played well. classic Dean Campbell, what's his position? I'm not sure he's good enough, but the odd time when he gets chucked into a high profile game, usually in that position, he has a habit of doing quite well there. Yeah. Um, that that was another example where I will I, I I was not alone in the stand when we saw that one shaping up. We're like, oh come on! But yeah, credit where credit's due. I think everyone that day performed really really well. And again, 
that was encouraging because, to be honest, Hearts have a tendency to batter us about regardless of the manager. So considering we were trying to um, not to be stuffy and just try and get a point, type, you know, we were trying to play some football, it was all really encouraging that we could come back against, like you said, a, a Hearts team that at that point in time were going well. We could come back into it. Um, having been a little soft-centred in some of the other games was probably just another false taunt, to be honest. Absolutely. I mean, maybe, maybe again, some warning signs there. Hearts go a goal up in this one uh, just after half time. A Liam Boyce penalty after a clumsy death and Gallagher challenge on Gary Mackay Stephen. And it was just touched on Jet, turns it on, turns the afterburners on even at, at some points. Dean Campbell's got a huge role in the goal, rescues a cross ball um, from going out the other side. The pitch flashes a good ball in, and it's Funzo King Ojo who grabs his first and only goal for Aberdeen, I think it would be. Um, to spark wild scenes in the way end I think it was probably one of the f- first times that the Funzo Ojo song was actually belted it with real gusto and genuine affection and not just an opportunity to have a dig about Neil Lennon and our unbeaten start to league campaign continues and again I, I, I actually came away from that game thinking okay like last week at Starks was a really fucking bad day at the office sometimes these things happen it's unfortunate it's happened to us in a in a second round League Cup tie where we should have really progressed. But after a tough trip to Azerbaijan, etc., this is a tough tie to have come through that with a draw. I was like, okay, we've got a bit about us as well. There's a bit of resilience, there's a bit of fight about us. You know, we're not just going to be this... We can, we can do that side of the game. It's not just going to be a we'll score six if you score five type season. I was kind of like, I was actually genuinely... That, that Hearts game actually was the one that made me actually feel really optimistic about how the season would go. Yeah, I, I would agree. Because that had... Well, basically, we've been there before, even under McInnes when we've been going well. And mm. that's the kind of game we'd go behind and uh, you know what they're going to do and you know we won't be able to deal with it. And I had all that set up at half time, and we came out and didn't sort of follow the, the, the standard script. So, yeah, that one was that one was one that uh, I think a lot of people looked at that and thought, oh, that's, that is interesting. If we get a few more games like that this season, then we might actually be able to do something. Spoiler alert, we didn't. <laughs> the Wraith Rovers game had me, had alarm bells ringing for me around the strength of our squad. Yeah. Certainly, and I felt that. Because up until that point, I'm pretty sure Glass was banging the drum that he was content and he wasn't going to be looking to bring anyone else in. And I was thinking, well, we need more bodies um, with quality um, in the event injuries should occur. And even though Karabag the night in Azerbaijan wasn't great, it was hard. I think the team battled really yeah, well so. in yeah. very difficult conditions um bearing in mind the kind of you know mental difficulty as well with watching when their teammates go down with such a serious injury i think we went down one nil quite quickly after that but we yeah. it puts a lot of doubt in players minds about how to play on a pitch like that when you see that happen absolutely i mean i had doubts about how to watch the game never mind how to play on it yeah. um and like you say i mean hearts town castle is such a difficult venue to go to it showed me that within certainly our first 11 and maybe like a core group, there was certainly something there that we could um, build on and, and work with that season. And yeah, like, it was a more encouraging thing than beating United because I thought yeah. United looked terrible. And Livingston, I don't think had a, Livingston had a pretty poor start as well. Yeah. Like you say, hearts were good and it's at such a difficult place. So it was all the signs, once again, they were all good. And there's been times where we've been going really good as Aberdeen, you know, and even under McInnes, where we've really struggled at Tyne Castle. You know, we had some good performances at Tyne Castle as well, don't get me wrong, but I remember the season at Hearts were really struggling where they were having to play kids 
um, because they were oh, yeah. basically administration. It was the season that got relegated, and we got Steaks beat. Steaks first season, yeah. Did we get beat twice at Tynecastle that season? I, I think, think we uh, gave them something like 50 or 60% of the points they eventually accumulated. It was some wild start. They got yeah. they would have been down so much earlier if it wasn't for us. I remember Nicky Weaver had a shocker. Um, they beat us, yeah, at Tynecastle, the first game. They beat us at Pataudry. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what the third game, the third result was, but I don't think we won it. So I don't think we won it either. Anyway, it's, it's not an easy place to go. I, I came out of that game feeling pretty positive about how we might go. And you were touching on there, Gav, about the fact that maybe the Wraith Rovers game showed that we didn't have a lot of depth in the squad. So we, we moved to address that. Um, after the Hearts game, Austin Samuels <laughs> joined the club from Wolves on a season-long loan with an option to buy. The first time I've seen us with an option to buy. Oh, and did we keep going on about that thing? Oh, didn't we just? And tell you what, did we take <laughs> up that option? No. Um, Sam was, was described at times having excellent speed and finishing ability, despite the fact he'd never scored a goal at first team level in his career. Anyway, um, and then just before kickoff in the second leg of the Conference League tie against Karabakh, it was announced that Marley Watkins had also rejoined the club this time on a two year deal, having been let go by, was he at Cardiff for like a month? Uh, he had a short deal with Cardiff, yeah. That's yeah, right. Cardiff, that's the one. Um, but hey, I think we all turned up to Pataudry that night against Carabag, full of expectation, hoping for a, another famous European night at Pataudry to add to the extensive list of which there are many, many famous European nights at Pataudry. Hell, we've spoken about a number of them with John Hewitt in the last three episodes of this podcast. It just wasn't to be, though, was it? Um, a, a pretty raucous crowd let down with a goal for the visitors after just eight minutes before the tie was put beyond doubt, just 10 minutes after that. And then Zuber, he of ex-Hibernian fame, remember he couldn't even get in a team managed by Pat Fenlon, added a third in the 72nd minute before a consolation penalty from Lewis Ferguson right at the death confirmed a final aggregate defeat of four goals to one in a deeply, deeply disappointing evening. I was going to say we were all as optimistic as you as you can be with Aberdeen, but I think we thought we're 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 in the tie, we're at Pathology. The guy said it's going to be a big crowd. We're hoping that atmosphere will, if it's not going to phase the opposition, at least it's going to motivate your own players. And yeah, it was never going to be easy. But I think what I think what was quite clear early on was that uh, the pitch had sort of leveled things in our favour slightly in the first leg because as soon as they turned up, kicked off and started zipping the ball around. They looked like a completely different team to the one we played the week before. And although you're still thinking, right, you're 1-0, you're at home, as soon as that goal went in, I, I know I was kind of thinking, right, we, we could be in for a bit of a long night here because I know these guys were obviously um, reasonable, but they appeared to be quite a bit more than reasonable once they got into a decent surface. I remember Fuad coming on for the second time to preview the, the home leg for ourselves and him saying that Carabag's strength was in their away performances and their ability to counter-attack and move the ball between the lines very quickly. And it was... I remember showing up, it was a really raucous crowd and it was just the atmosphere was sucked out of it within that first eight minutes when they get that goal. And it became so apparent in such quick time how much they were just on a completely different level to us. And I think it, to me, again, looking back now, showed naivety on the management's part to 
try and take the game to them and go toe to toe because if I can see it within 10 minutes that we can't lay a glove on these guys, then it does make me question the preparation and the way that our management would look about creating solutions to the problems that our opposition would, would present us with. And I think that's something that persisted throughout the season. Yeah, naive is the word I would have used for that game as well. I'm glad you picked up on it, Gav, because I think that we got caught, I think, in this idea of let's really get after them early doors and make it really difficult for them. And in this very kind of Scottish, we'll get in their faces and get really aggressive with them, which <clears throat> played into their hands. I think on one hand, I could I, I could see the argument for doing it, but at the same time, I think if you'd, if you'd looked at Carabag properly, you would see that technically they were very, very good. I would go as far as to say that I think actually Carabag are probably the best side I've seen us play in the last X number of seasons we've played in Europe, um, including the, uh, the the Derek McInnes runs. I think they're probably the most the most experienced, most streetwise in European football that we've played. And I uh, Sociedad maybe are the, are the are the one I'd put to the I'd put up there. But I thought actually at home we had Sociedad on the ropes um, by playing that kind of aggressive in their face type of type of way. I think you're right. I think it just was, was naive. I think we would have been better off trying to actually probably sit off them a little bit and feel them out a little bit early doors and see where they were all the talk about you remember you might remember this all the talk about going into that game was how bad the pitch had been the week before and how getting them back to Patoja on our pitch that'll make a big difference and it's like aye it'll make a big fucking difference to Carabag because they'll be able to knock the ball about with a lot more freedom and and play with the kind of technical ability they did I I, I genuinely thought Carabag on the night were, were excellent um but I agree with you I thought that there was a real level of naivety in our performance yeah, and a failure to prepare um, yeah. on our part, which would become, I don't know, a, to, to me it felt like it could become a signature trait of Stephen Glass's management. Um, I would just go on far and say that I think Carabao were the best we've seen at Patology this season by a distance. Yeah, I don't think I got far. I thought, I thought that I thought Celtic's first half performance against us the second time. You would though, wouldn't you? I would obviously because that's where I was uh, last week. There <laughs> we go. Been hung by my own rope there. Lovely. Um, I, I would say Carabag and I was at Celtic's first half performance that day against us, where they went kind of tune a lot very quickly, was was very good. Although we were terrible as well that evening. But Carabag were, for me, I think Carabag are the best side we've played in in Europe in the last. How far back would it go now? It's nearly ten years, I guess, isn't it? Since, since McInnes came in, so. In that run, I think I think they're the best team we've played in that time. Um, but hey, there there we go. The following day, um, it's announced that Newcastle United prodigy Matty Longstaff had joined on a season-long loan deal before then David Bates rocked up on a three-year deal from Hamburg, like, I don't know, like boys club team or something. Um, he was so far out of the picture at Hamburg at that point. He was sleeping in his car at the training ground or something. That's that, Was that not what the chat was? Anyway, um, my long staff straight into the starting lineup as mad racist Malky McKay's Dross County rocked up to Patodre in the last weekend of August. Christian Ramirez eventually scrambling in a late equaliser to spare the Don's blushes after an afternoon of much bluster and very little chances where well, that might become a common theme at some point. After Reagan Charles Cook had given the visitors the lead in the first half and I think this might be the game that Ramirez talked about on that Orange Slices podcast once they got off talking about trainers um, or sorry sneakers um, 
where he came into the dress mask being like, yay, like we drew that. And everyone's like, fucking shite, mate. And he didn't quite understand why that was a big issue. Which I don't, obviously it must be a mentality thing, but I mean, it's three points for a win in the MLS, right? Yeah. And one point for a draw. So unless you didn't go to school, you must understand that three is better than one. <laughs> unless he um... thinks we're just going to draw the remaining, whoever it was at that point, 36 games. And everyone's going to be delighted. I don't know, maybe someone should have just told them that uh, a home draw against Ross County isn't really something to be celebrated. Well, that, maybe I'm being critical. He's a man just landed figuring out what it's all about to play for Aberdeen, so maybe it was a slightly different mentality to the teams he's played for before. This goes to my point, actually, I made on Twitter the other day, but if we're going to continue to like recruit out the American market, I think that we need to have... like people early doors setting expectations with these guys about the fact that right you come from the mls where there's no relegation there's no real fucking pressure about whether you win or lose games like because if you lose all your games in the season you're not getting relegated no one's losing their job at the club because you get relegated to like the championship or whatever there is and yeah okay you might win some games and you might win like the mls cup or the fan shield or whatever the fuck it is Right, but there's not that same intensity, that same pressure that goes with with playing in Europe. Um, it's not exclusive to Scotland, of course. It's not exclusive to Scotland. Um, I feel that these guys need to be taken into a room at some point early doors and be like, right, <laughs> anything less than a win against like these teams is frankly unacceptable. Well, it's twofold. It's setting an expectation just for what the club is attempting yeah. to achieve, uh, but also setting expectations around what sort of reception you can expect out and about if you haven't taken yeah. three points at home against these teams and just making it clear that we're not saying keep yourself to yourself and hide but if you've beaten Ross County at home don't be expecting too many high fives because that's basically just doing your job you've not really done anything yeah. over and above if you don't beat them people are going to be pissed off and it's the way it should be um, in my in my opinion, Aberdeen should be beating Ross County at home. So exactly, it, it's how you yeah. need to deal with it. It's a good point though, actually. Around, I hadn't really considered the fact that there isn't really the well, there isn't promotion relegation, so it does change your mindset, especially maybe as you get into that sort of tail end of the season, where actually, even if you were having a good season, you're then up against teams who are quite literally scrapping for their jobs because yeah. if they go down. You know, a bunch of guys are going to get released. It doesn't, it's not like people don't try normally, but it does add a different dimension to it. I can't imagine what it's like going into a game, especially as a player. It's not so much because the players are probably getting another contract, but the club goes down. It's the staff. The it's people, the staff yeah, right? I was going to say the people in the shop maybe don't have a job. They're not just going to be like, oh, well, that's all right. I might be getting a couple of grand a week. I'll get something else. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. So it's a completely different mindset. And I think people, you're absolutely right, need to understand that it is a different mentality here. And if you're not up for that, that's fine. Let's yeah. have that chat before you sign anything. Yeah, I mean, there are people around you relying on their paycheck on your performance on the football pitch. It's not just you relying on your paycheck coming in from your performance. There's people who are not associated with what the, they're associated indirectly with what the first team do on a week-by-week basis, but they're not out they're on the pitch. But their livelihoods, their mm-hmm. futures depend on you. And they have the least influence. Yeah, As exactly. in, you know, the, the people in the shop or the the staff, the people at Cormac Park, whatever, they, they don't get a choice in who signs or how to set the team up. But yeah, it's usually them that suffer first. Yeah. Or or how much effort you put on the pitch. 
Exactly. And I thought it was really naive um, when you hear that. But again, hopefully lessons learned by the club from that perspective, it's yeah. happening in that particular market. I, I, I almost feel like the American market's almost very exclusive in this. Well, it's interesting you mentioned this because Chris Mueller, who was at Hibs, has yeah. had the exact same conversation. He's gone back to the MLS now. Yeah. And made, you know, made out as though playing for Hibs was the most stressful thing that's ever happened to him. To be so, fair, don't blame him. So, um, um, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, so, yeah, I think the due diligence needs to be made in terms of these guys' ability, but also their character. Refreshingly, it appears Dante Povara has got a pretty winning mentality and he's all out you know to do so he's not going to be here and happy to pick up a point here and there against Livingston or Ross County um go back to that game as well it was the first game where I sat stood watching it and thought we move the ball quite slowly here don't we yeah it was the first game I think as well where you could see a team deciding to come in kind of sit in make us be quite passive make us make us be quite slow in our possession, not offer up a lot, hit us on a counter-attack with a goal, then sit right back in again and basically say, right, come on then. And it was almost like the blueprint after that for teams to look at how Ross County played against us. Um, and I think as well their goal came from a mistake. But I can't quite remember what it was. What it was, It was. I, I can't remember. Our goal was pretty fortuitous as well, as I recall. Um, a poor save by Laidlaw. Ross Laidlaw. Laidlaw. Ross Laidlaw, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jet played the ball through to Hayes, who had a pretty tame shot and really should have held on to it. And yeah, Ramirez got the equalising goal, fortuitously. Probably Matty Longstaff's best outing in our Aberdeen shirt that day. Not saying much. Not saying much at all, but it, it, bizarrely, we end August unbeaten in the league. We're sitting fourth spot, two wins and two draws, um, although obviously out of the League Cup and the, uh, and the European Conference League. But... We'd had a mammoth 11 games in just over five weeks at that point. So you could kind of see we were starting to gas out a little bit quite quite quickly. And I guess from a league perspective, unbeaten two wins, two draws is probably not the worst place we could have been in at that particular point in the season. No, I mean, it was was unacceptable to be out of the cup. But as you say, those things do just... Upsets happen in cups. That's the the reason why people are drawn to them um, as spectator sports. Um, Worth mentioning as well that for all the talk of we weren't going to sign players for the sake of signing players, Austin Samuels, who'd been referred to as having excellent speed and finishing ability, played wide left that day. He did. That's right. Yeah, he did. And I think he threw in a couple of balls, which were his trademark. The threw threw them in. Well, you know, smashed them in. Fucking bazooka. (laughs) Get your head on that. Everyone's just like, nah, you're all right, mate. (laughs) Fuck that. I ain't doing that. Like, I'm seeing what dementia is doing to guys who played in the 60s. I ain't fucking getting involved in this shit. But you would have thought at that point, like a couple of weeks off was kind of just what the doctor ordered for Stephen Glass and, and the management team at that point. As I just said, they'd had 11 games in just over five weeks. And you'd also think it was a chance for the new signings, that's the guys like Bates, Watkins, Longstaff and Samuels, they'd probably get in and around the squad a bit more and kind of acclimatise and, and so on and so forth. That's well, I mean, everyone that came in that summer pretty much it felt like they just went straight into football didn't really feel yeah. like we had a pre-season as is typical with Aberdeen in the last 10 years we just you know we have a couple weeks off and then we're back and the European campaign starts immediately so given all the the bluster about how elite our coaching was going to be you thought a couple weeks off then get that work on the training ground we're going to come back even better no did we come back better no we didn't a, a, a first away trip to Lanarkshire oh, um, fuck's sake. 
I know. Here we go. Saw us slumped our first defeat in the league. Kevin Van Veen or Dennis Burkamp against Aberdeen as he is. And Johanny Ojala exposing the Don's defensive frailties in the, a real nothing display by us that day. Uh, we had loads of possession, but created the square root of fuck all over the 90 minutes. I think Marley Watkins had maybe a good chance with a header, which he should have done better with, but that was it. Um, a worrying, worrying performance this one for a part. This was the one that really got my alarm bells ringing. Um, but it's one that Dave Cormack later would pretend that Mother Chief Executive Alan Burrows was purring about the Don's performance. Um, now, we all know that Mother will do a lot of charitable work. <laughs> but for me, this might have just been taking the piss just a little bit too much. What do you mean, pretend? What are you trying to say? Did Alan Burrows not text Dave Cormack and said that was the finest Aberdeen performance he'd seen in recent history? Are you, trying to say that, are you trying to say that didn't happen? I can't understand what was auto-corrected to finest. Just <laughs> the type shitest. It doesn't correct it to finest. So uh, come back to me and see if there's a way I could get finest to appear as my autocorrect option. Um, yeah, that if he was, then I agree. Um, there's kicking a man when, when he's down. Either that or Alan Burrows was getting fair fired in to the complimentary booze and hospitality that day. Every chance. Um, I'm going to show how much research I've done into this section of the season, but I think Joe Lewis had a ropey day at Fur Park that day. No, I, I wouldn't have said so. I, I think he maybe could have done a little bit better on the goals, but the goals were defensively horrendous. Um, Gallagher in particular was at fault, I think, for certainly one of them. David Bates just looked like a fish out of water as well the whole day. Um, this was one of the games I felt really sorry for him because he clearly was not like fit or ready to do anything because he'd been training with the Hamburg dog squad or something. I don't know. If, so... I felt a wee bit sorry He'd for have been a lot fitter if he was training with the Hamburg dog squad. Maybe the first one. Maybe the first one you could look at Lewis, but I still think it should have been better dealt with by the defence. But I seem to recall around this time, especially that's when the, the knives... It felt like this is when the knife started coming out for Joe. It was the next two games, I think, because after that, shocker of a performance at Fir Park. And you might hear that again later in this, uh, later on in this, in this series. Oh, you will. We then uh, rocked up for a home fixture against a St. Johnston side who were still searching for their first win of the campaign. So that's bound to be the tonic, right, boys? Should have been the tonic. What better remedy? Insert Donald Trump. Wrong. Gif here. A Stevie May Trundler from outside the box. I mean, that ball went in at about, I don't know. It was in slow motion, wasn't it? I still can't fathom how it went in. I just can't understand how he got one on target. He didn't do that in red, did he? It's the element of surprise. <laughs> yeah. Lewis has trained and played with him for a couple of seasons. <laughs> he was already putting his gloves in his bag to go off after 19. He's like, what the hell? He's got it on target. Not just Stevie May, surprisingly, getting a shot on target. It's St. Johnson's only shot on target in the entire 90 minutes. Well, this is definitely going to come up again. It, it absolutely will. Um, celebrated by the ex-Aberdeen man so he'd won the World Cup to be fair to him um, naturally speaking it's only one of only two goals he scored this entire campaign obviously yeah he celebrated not go by uh, giving it big to the red shed but giving it some granny in the main stand fair play those those main stand grannies are pretty toxic like again that game I remember being there I mean this listen I get the end of the season was bad but for anyone that's trying to make out that it was better beforehand if you were there that day, you fucking know it wasn't. Because that was the 
fucking pits. <laughs> I wasn't there that day. I watched it at home on Red TV. Of course you weren't, because it was fucking garbage and you usually miss them. And I, I honestly, I, I decided, even though we were doing the pod, I'd, I'd got to like an hour and I was like, I'm just switching the laptop off. I can't be arsed watching this. And I remember as well, this was again, another case of uh, Ramsey definitely was culpable. And I, I want to say it was probably Gallagher. Because it probably was. It probably was Gallagher. The defending. Oh, it was horrendous. We made it so easy for Stevie May to actually get a shot yeah. away. Now, granted, of course, sure, Stevie May, let him have a shot. Why not? But <laughs> still. Look out the flats on Merkman Road. It was just so pure amateur hour in terms of defending. And yeah, just yeah. didn't get any better. Joe Lewis didn't cover himself with glory with that goal either. He, I think it was, I think it was wrong footed, but he definitely had enough time to, you know, adjust and he had get. three days to recover. Like it went in the net at about two miles an hour. I'm trying to be diplomatic here. It was a horrendous goal. Creeped in. I remember just like Graham, I think Graham and I were both there and yeah, just in real time there. You just, you just knew it was going in from the minute it left his foot. I swear to God, because like I said, I'd closed the laptop lid after about 60 minutes. I hadn't seen the goal live. I watched the highlights back and I assumed that what they were showing me was the replay, like the slow-mo replay. <laughs> and then I was like, no, that was real time. And it's like, oh, hang on, what? Pretty, pretty bleak, yeah. Not great, was it? Not great. But hey, listen, pick ourselves up, onwards and upwards, on to Paisley. Christian Ramirez in the changing room being all like, oh, well, lads, we'll try again next week. Exactly. But hey, it's fine. Onwards and upwards, next week, a trip to Paisley to find a side still searching for their first win of the season in St Mirren. Happily conceding a, a truly daft goal after 14 minutes to Conor Ronan. But hey, we quickly sorted our shit out. A first goal in an Aberdeen shirt for Scott Brown, a wonderful back heel that he knew everything about, followed up by a fine diving header from Christian Ramirez. To be fair, that was a good goal. That was good. And it was a well-worked free kick. Um, suddenly we're two and up at half time. Things are looking good. Cue then a pretty mad decision by Teddy Jenks to make a late tackle while he was already in booking, which meant that Willie Collum. Has anyone picked out the fact that Willie Collum's name is two different slang words for a penis? Yes, I think many people have. Excellent. Good stuff. And he had no hesitation to send the young man off. Tough tackling midfielder. Maybe that's what Teddy Jenks' role is. Daft tackling midfielder, did you say? That's what every midfield's looking for one of them. Not ball winning anyway. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, and then before you know it, two minutes later, Ronan equalised before you guessed it, Curtis Main, obviously. Flick, did he flick on a Fraser cross? I don't think he I touched I don't think it. he did. No. Uh, Joe Lewis made an absolute horrendous shambles of this, coming out, flapping for it, getting nowhere near it. Uh, well, you know the rest. Um, the ball nestles in the nets, and Minnan pick up their first one of the season. It felt like we were going through our charitable stage at this point of the season. If only it was a stage. Um, speaking of which, it's quite nice of our like charitable wing of our youth academy just to gift Rangers players, isn't it? Just going to say the uh, Aberdeen Youth Academy has done more work for Rangers than the Murray Park has. Yeah. Let's hope that does not continue. I hope we are registered as a charity. That's the only thing I'm going to say about that. So suddenly after what was a positive August, September... Three defeats on the spin. We end September ninth of the table. We've dropped from fourth to ninth in the space of three games. And even more worryingly, and this is where the trend had actually started, we were at that point no wins in our last eight games in all competitions going back to the Wraith Rovers debacle. And this would continue to go. But that seems to me, boys, to be like a natural place to end part one of this deep dive. I think so. I think that's... Um, I can't recall who we had as a guest to review St Mirren 
it might have been Ali's first appearance, actually, now I think about it. Um, Could have been. And like St. St. Johnston at home. I think St. Johnston were bottom at the time. No, they, they, they weren't bottom. I, I sense-checked all this. They were hovering about ninth or something. Okay. But they hadn't won a game, had they? No, they hadn't won a game at that point. Neither had St. Mirren. St. Mirren were about ninth as well in the table around that sort of place. They'd had a couple of draws. Yeah. And following up from Frost County, we were awful against St. Johnston. Absolutely yeah. dreadful. St. Mirren, you know, we go the goal behind. We get it back to well-worked goals, I thought. Fortuitous, obviously, in Scott Brown, but certainly a well-worked goal for Ramirez. And then... This was, again, a time when I was like looking at it and think, okay, Jenks gets sent off, we go down to 10 men. We all know from watching, from playing, that doesn't automatically mean the other team win. No. And it was a matter of like five minutes, we gave away two really, really soft goals. And it was the first time where I was thinking, like, what's the character in the dressing room to stand up to adversity? Yeah. And ultimately, they never proved that they actually had it. That six-minute game was the first one I had where I had question marks with Scott Brown. Because that was the kind of game I was expecting that, okay, you've gone on a goal down, you get yourselves back to 2-1 in a half time, you get a boy sent off. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm expecting, like that experience, that leadership, that captaincy to try and like rally the guys together, not let that game go the way it went. And it was just nothing. Yeah. And just like I say, made you question the willingness of the players to dig in when they were up against it. Absolutely. But that seems to me like a natural place to end part one of this deep dive. Join us next week where we'll take the time so you don't have to, to relive October through December. It's going to be a fun ride. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) In other news from Patology, this week, since last week's show went out, the club have confirmed the worst kept secrets in the world by confirming Andrew Constant. We already knew that. Dylan McGee, Funzo, King Ojo and Michael Ruth would all be leaving the first team set up following the expiry of their contracts and Adam Montgomery and Ted Jenks had returned to Celtic and Brighton and Hove Albion respectively. And it was also then confirmed during the week that again, to the surprise of absolutely no one, that Tyler Makita, Jack McIver, Luke Turner, Mark Gallagher, Finn Yates and Jamie Shingler were all being let go from the development squad as well. Gents, your thoughts just on the news as regards to those releases? Well, first things first, thank you to the club for releasing that information literally again minutes after our show went out, as is always the case. Uh, with regards to the news, yeah, not. I think we all pretty much had a good handle on who was getting released. And so no surprises and interesting that I think one or two of those young players have been offered trials down the road, which makes you think that perhaps we're uh, missing a trick. But I guess at the end of the day, these clubs will be inviting dozens of players in for trials at that age, especially. So, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, what's it? A crapshoot. Is that the term? Uh, so, um, yeah, the players, the the coaches will have good reason, have had plenty of time to watch these guys and assess their capabilities. And as backwards as this might sound, I guess we just have to trust their judgment. <laughs> With regards to the first team, I will, Constantine aside, not miss any of the players that will not be here next season. I'd forgotten we had Adam Montgomery. That was a good bit of business. Hashtag quality over quantity. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I don't have any objections to any of them. One, to a couple of the younger guys, I don't actually know if we tried to negotiate or offered because everyone's saying, oh, why are you letting them go? Was it Luke Turner? Probably the more high-profile one. But I actually don't know if conversations took place or if he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested. So, you know, it's sort of in defence of the club. Everyone's assuming we're releasing them. It may be that... 
the guy, some we are releasing because they just weren't really what we were after. And the more high profile ones, I haven't seen anything to say that, you know, they couldn't come to an agreement. So maybe they just fancy doing something else. Um, time, will, time will tell. All I will say is, in general, I don't know if we've really released anyone that's come back to bite us. What has happened usually is they break into the team and then they go for peanuts. And that comes back to bite us. Bruce Anderson. I don't think that's coming back to bite us. Not yet, anyway. Um, I, been... quite, I suppose he's done better than I thought he would, if I'm perfectly he has, honest. He has. But I'm not looking at that thinking, shit, he'd have changed our season. That was a silly decision. There's players we've let go, yeah, who have gone on and done well. Yeah. I mean, Craig's story is not one of them. But, you know, I mean... You know. What a mess he is, eh? <laughs> Oh, man. Do we all remember his debut? Against Celtic. Celtic. Yeah, he looked really good, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Presumably he really turned on against Celtic for obvious reasons. Well, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's possibly a reason for that. Um, you know, we've had... It's been it's been good in a way that we've seen our young players especially go on and have good careers, at least at like a lower level in Scotland, still making a living. So all the best to the guys that have been released and, um, you know, genuinely, I think genuinely all the best to the guys that are going from the first team as well. Um Adam and Gamera, I don't want you anywhere in your project ever again. I have nothing again. Like the guys that have been released, you know, we've spoken at length about Constantine, but like McGeech constantly injured, never saw enough of him. But I don't have anything against him. Ojo never really delivered a great deal over his time, albeit I wasn't alone in being quite enthusiastic at the start of the season when he sort of appeared out of nowhere and did have some good games. Michael Ruth, again. We never saw anything of them, but, but there's nobody in there that, like, I think was at it or, you know, was leaving us in the lurch by not renewing a contract and is going somewhere else type thing. It's yeah. just one of these things didn't really work out for them. So, yeah, f- fair enough. I hope they uh, do go on to get something else. He's a Belgian. <laughs> he no longer plays with McLaren. <laughs> Still hates fucking Neil Lennon. Probably ambivalent to Neil Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> But rhymes with McLaren <laughs> and Belgian. Anyway, um, yeah, I think like yeah, on the on the development squad side, I think that the biggest surprise is still the Luke Turner one. I think we touched on it a couple weeks ago when the rumors of this first started coming out. Um, I think Goodwin's come out to say that they didn't offer him something. It's not a case of we offered something and he's turned it down or anything like that and decides he wants to do something else. I think the noises are we just were like we not we don't see it. And um, it's the one I'm very surprised about. The proof will be in the pudding. It's felt as though he's won more and more awards yeah, for a season since the uh, news. But I think Barry Robson's language in the announcement was the same, that it was our decision to let him go, yeah. um, as well as the rest of them. I'm kind of surprised, but I, I wonder if he suffered a little bit, because obviously he was at Cliftonville um, in the Norwich Irish Premiership. At least I can do that one more time this season. Um, all of our other young players who are out on loan in Scotland, they come back and train with the club Monday to Friday. And so the 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 likes of Goodwin and that will get really first-hand dibs on on these guys. That wouldn't have been happening with Luke Turner um, or Mark Gallagher when they're out in 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 Belfast. So I wonder if there maybe been a bit of a I wonder if they suffered a little bit from that because they're not getting that first-hand view. Something slightly flawed with our setup. If you basically aren't within a a radius of returning to Petodre that they forget and don't watch. So I, I absolutely take your point. It's not the same as basically seeing the guys day in, day out, training with a quality of player you know because they're your players and then they go out and play their loan games. So I, I do take your point, but I, I kind of 
I can't imagine that they've not had eyes on regularly. Although, actually, I say I can't imagine. The absolute state of last season. Probably <laughs> f- they probably forgot about him. His contract just, like, auto-lapsed. They're like, oh, yeah, shit. Um, yeah, Luke Turner's not very good. That's why we're not t- t- keeping him on. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the one that seems the biggest surprise to me that we've not even taken a year on him just to try and see how he goes. Um, I'm going to try and throw a positive spin on this because the reason I'm so shocked about it is because he's a centre-back and our centre-backs this season have by and large been shite. So hopefully it's a sign that we've got things in the works and we're going to improve that position and therefore we do not need Luke Turner. Fingers crossed. All I'm going to say is we've got a series of interviews coming up with someone who, let's let's say, you didn't want to look too much at their training performances, but would look at their match performances as being the barometer when they should be. And Graham's right. If this is a situation where because we can't see him in training and we're, we're deciding to bin him, that would have meant this this particular player who we're talking about would have never made the grade for, for Aberdeen Football Club. And um, well, that'd be a very, very different story if, if that had been the case. On to the women's team. Uh, following on from last week's news, that the club are going to move towards a semi-professional status next season. It was confirmed that Johan Fraser, along with goalkeepers, Gail Gilmore and Anna Blanchard were leaving the club alongside Kelly Forrest and Carrie Doig, who'd already announced their retirement from the game. All the best to the girls who are moving on from the club. Fingers crossed they can pick up clubs elsewhere. That goes as well, actually, specifically for me, for the younger guys leaving the development squads. Hopefully this doesn't mark the end of their footballing journey. Hopefully they pick up uh, contracts at other clubs and they can continue and hopefully bounce back towards the, the top flight in Scottish football or possibly beyond as long as they don't involve scoring against us in the future. Next up on Fantasy Football Scotland, obviously Gav, Graham, you guys touched on the Fantasy Football Scotland League last see last week, sorry, um, we need to get in contact with the guys who finished in first, second, third in the league. Um, I'll put something out in the socials about that during this week. I've just not got on to it this week. We'll do it this week. We'll get on to you. You'll get your prizes in the post as soon as effing possible. And that will wrap up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break as we chat with our man in Spain, the one and only Graham Hunter, to get his thoughts on the season that's been and where we go from here. To play us out this half, here are Van Sleep with their track, Acid Weather. The track's available in all of our usual streaming locations. Check out the links in the podcast description. Here's Van Sleep with Acid Weather. Pull yourself together and pull yourself apart in the lazy acid weather and leaving from the store it in. Oh, you're oh so clever, but no one's got the heart to take another so we all keep standing still 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 But baby, if you're standing still Then I'm standing still with you Pull yourself together Yes.
Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we get on to our interview segment with Graham Hunter, we'd just like to give Doug, Rory, Jim, Mark, and an anonymous punter amongst you a shout-out for your contributions to the ABZ Football Podcast beer slash coffee fund. Much needed, Gavi. Editing this show, absolutely. The three of us, we see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to keep us fueled in beers or coffee, head over to ko-fi.com slash ABZ football podcast the link is in the descriptions buy us a beer or coffee it's much appreciated it keeps us going keeps us bringing our brand of absolute fucking nonsense to you moving on for those of you who've been with us on this journey since episode one and we know there are a few of you you might remember that maiden episode landed the week prior to the ball club and heckin game and we brought you uh let's face it a stonking opening interview setting our stall out early in terms of podcast length and girth with an opening <laughs> interview with our man in spain friend and supporter of the show graham hunter where we talked about a whole host of topics including our hopes and aspirations for the season ahead now given the dust has settled on the 21 22 campaign who better to bring back mr hunter to bookend the season to analyze where we went wrong how we try to rectify things for next season so it's our pleasure to bring back the one and the only Graham Hunter. Graham Hunter, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Well, how's what going? That's a very big question. 
it is a big question. It's a big question for the big questioner, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, awfully clever, awfully clever. How's life? Yeah, um, look, uh, f- 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 for those who don't um, know me and who are wondering where the fuck I'm on this, um, you know, born and brought up in Aberdeen, um, worked, lived and worked in Glasgow, lived and worked in London, I've been in Barcelona for the last 20 years. So obviously, um, anybody who pays a cursory attention to European football will have noticed that the relegation and the last European place were only sorted out this this past weekend, a couple of days before the episode goes out. Um, then we've had some fella in France not fancying taking a, a career sabbatical in Madrid. <laughs> and we've got the Champions League final coming up uh, this weekend between Liverpool and Real Madrid. So if you if you strike off all the other things, all the travelling, <clears throat> all the interviews, and the, you, you all know the, the, the sort of dog work you've got to put in to, to get guests and so on. If you, if you strike all those things away and just the harassment of, of a season, you, you get to the end of the season and there's there's a mixed feeling of, of relief and dread because I know myself very well that the instant I can say I've got no tasks, I've got no writing, I've got no broadcasting, once I actually shake that off, man, it'll, it'll be about four or five days later than it should be. I'll take four or five days where I feel brilliant, and then I'll be pacing. I'll be, I'll be pulling the ground. I'll be pissed off. I'll, I want football back that isn't just Scotland without flipping Kieran Tierney, hopefully beating the pulp out of um, Wales in a in a final to get us to Qatar. Um, so I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be. I'll be clawing the walls um, pretty quickly in June. Uh, so at the moment, fine, busy, recuperating from two multi-goal sessions on the league of television last night, Sunday night, where we do, we do all the games that kick off at the same time simultaneously. So it has to be off tube. And the week before we did it also, which meant that live we were dealing with, I think it came out to 322 play, 320 players, I think it was, that you're, you're commentating on and you, you, the screen will, you, that we're looking at will flip depending on what's happening in a particular game. You're given a 10 seconds warning and then you're, you're from Granada up to San Sebastian and down to Valencia or whatever. So that was a smaller field because there was three relegation games in three European places, um, which were live at the same time. First of all, from 8 to 10, then from 10 to midnight. And, and that leaves your head spinning. So... You asked how I was. There's a really good summary, um, and that's as brief as I as I care to be. <laughs> I love it. I love. It. I really like that format as well. On the like, do you? TV. Why? That's interesting. Why? I I really like it because I just think it. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of you know the NFL red zone stuff. They do it really I, well. I've well. heard of it. I know that exists. I didn't know they flipped around between yeah. two matches. And so that format, I think, if you are a person who's got limited interest in a particular game but you just love watching football and you love just watching goals and everything that goes with it but, you, but you've got no real skin in the game in a particular game yeah it's yeah him. i kind of felt I, I i dipped in i don't watch a lot of english football but i kind of dipped in and out a little bit of what was going on yesterday afternoon you know with the man city liverpool stuff and that could have done with that format 
yesterday rather than it being one game's on this channel, one game's on this channel. They actually did that. I don't know if you looked at match of the day. This, I'm sure this is riveting yeah. for our listeners. <laughs> but by the time they, they, they interwove the title winning two games and then they did the relegation games interwoven and, and because the Arsenal Spurs things were so clear cut, they, they, they played them one after the other, which I thought was a good editorial choice. But editing them together that well is a skill. And it's different from what you and I were talking about in terms of multi-code, because we're doing that live. But the effect, I can understand, compared to what you see like as a consumer, yeah. I can see the similarities. And it's just something that when I, I began doing it 10 years ago, um, not on La Liga, but when, when I don't know what was going on, it must have just been a world feed for Media Pro of La Liga and, and they introduced us to this concept of multi-go and it, it really, it was during the season, it wasn't in dramatic moments, it was like every Sunday. And I thought, well, I, I, as, as usual in terms of consumer trends, I remember being in China in 2004 or five, something like that, as, as, um, as I was working for a, a Chinese media company and, you know, I had ideas for a book and, and the, 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 Titan reads like Titan. Titan Media were like, yeah, yeah, a book, yeah. We'll only do it if, if we can put it out in, in, on, a, on a mobile phone. I was like, are you fucking having a laugh? Mate? What kind of jackass is going to read a book on a mobile phone? And, you know, now, you, know, you, can ba- <laughs> you, can barely, you can barely buy a hardback and nobody reads the books on mobile phones. So, um, as brilliantly acerbic and astute as I am on football, don't, don't buy stocks or shares based on what I think might happen. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Capital at <laughs> risk. Yeah, capital crime, uh, if, if, if you believe me, in terms of especially technology. Listeners of this show will remember that, um, Graham, you joined us on week one, maiden episode of the show, um, where I think that all four of us on the call that, that evening were quietly optimistic, I think, about the season ahead for Aberdeen and we were about to enter that opening European qualifier against Balclub and Hecken with maybe a little bit of cautious uncertainty about how it would pan out. I think we all took the view that that was perhaps a tough draw, um, a decent Swedish outfit. They were into their season a lot earlier than we were, had a number of yeah. uh, internationals in the team. Um, the thumping 5-1 win, a, a real false dawn as to where that where the season eventually would head. Yeah, look, I don't know how to extrapolate from... <clears throat> from those early weeks, particularly the European adventure to, to where we got to at the, you know, the depths of depression and the, the managerial change and, and the outburst of, you know, pr- pretty bilious reaction to those that run the club. Um, my impressions in early summer was that, uh, my impression, main impression was that we were, we were quick on our toes, that we were, quite sharp um confident too and at the beginning if i can if i can dance away from just only speaking about you know thumping the swedes mm-hmm. my i had a pretty strong excitement about um for example samuels and i thought i saw something there i really genuinely i i, I messaged stephen glass and said listen now you know in certain games you can you could you could imagine him coming off the the wide position and playing uh, as a as a, a forward on the break, a centre forward on the break, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. he takes about oh, maybe next game, and then and then the guy disappeared. You all, you three are better judges to tell me about how he got on up north. 
Um, I, I, I couldn't understand that. And one of the contrasts that strikes me really strongly about um, that early positive spell, when just like when he, he had taken over at the end of the previous season, I, I don't know, in the last interview we had where we talked about the Ibrox game where we lost heavily, but there were patches when we played. I thought we played really, really interesting mm-hmm. football and we dragged them around. We opened them up and we neither had the ability to sustain that long enough because Stephen Glass was, was quite new in the door at that stage. So this is last season. But the, the the little early budding shoots in the early part of this season made me think, well, there's some continuity here. Um, there are ideas of football which you can see occasionally we look a little bit bandy-esque, but it's a, it's a brand of football that I, I want, I, I believe in. We seem to be scoring goals at, at, at that stage. I and, and increasingly culminating in the the cup tie in Kakodi. I thought Scott Brown is playing on 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 memory, and he's so good that his attitude and his ability to drive people and his occasional contributions, either in a big tackle or in a some sort of contribution higher at the pitch. You thought. All of those are interesting, but I genuinely thought he needs to play at the back. Right from maybe a month, six weeks, four, five, six weeks into the season, I was really, really sure that I wanted him, even if it was in a back three, but I, the way in which he was conservatively holding a position, which was pretty deep, mm-hmm. meant that we, we were failing to link between midfield and attack. There were big gaps between midfield and, and attack. And teams are being allowed time to, to, to own the ball and think, well, what do we do next? Where we don't want them thinking, we don't want them able to rap, we want them to, or if we haven't got the ball, we want them press, win, press, win. And I'll admit to you that I didn't think in that early part of the season, you know, by any means that we wouldn't see Scott Brown continuing the, the season. In an early part of uh, this term, I also thought, you know, we, we, we might have some bumps in the way, but I, you know, I believe that. <clears throat> Stephen Glass was doing a job that was was transformative and would need time. But for example, and and I know there are, you know, a baker's dozen of examples that can be quoted right back in my face. But at Ibrox in a two-two game, you know, I'll, I'll say it out loud: either that referee was incompetent and and shouldn't be doing his job, or we were swindled. And I think you probably heard in the interview that I did with Dave Cormack that him saying that, you know, that they complained and the Referees Association sent, you know, Boutros, Boutros, fucking galley, some sort of peacemaker up to Bedodri to say, well, if we'd had VAR, those decisions wouldn't have stood. Oh, <laughs> you're not fucking kidding me, they wouldn't have stood. They were fucking appalling. It, it, it just, it was just blatantly obvious. It's not the leftover of the Fergie thing all right, let's tell them they're all against us until we build up the head of steam. They were shocking decisions. But for an hour, at least an hour, I thought we played as good football as I can remember for a very long time. Yeah, it's an interesting one because you, you just picked up on it there, Graham, as well, about um, there's a lot to unpack, obviously, just even out of that little segment there. But, you know, for me, we we opened the season fairly well I think we, we the, the three of us we did our, our main part of the show uh, looking at what we've classed as part one of the season which we've run from the kind of European games till the end of September yeah. um and you know 
the European stuff was exhilarating. We were scoring goals. We were losing goals as well. But it felt like it was this. Graham, Gav, you can you can chip in a bit. It felt like this was that kind of almost Kevin Keegan esque Newcastle side of well, you know what, you can score three, but we're going to score four, five, six, and it was entertaining and it was an exhilarating feeling because that had been something I'd been missing from the football club for the last two or three years at the very least. Um, yeah, agreed. Then we had that horrendous spell where we, we I think it was eight games, we, we went with a, a win from Kirkcaldy through till we went to, I think it was after the St Mirren game, the 3-2 game at Paisley. Then there was defeats at Celtic, against Celtic and then at Dundee and the pressure was really on at that point on Stephen Glass. And suddenly we had that little mini run of three games, the Hibs, Rangers, Hearts games, all in a week. I think it was an injury forced us to go back three against Hibs early doors. Brown shuffled in there. Gallagher suddenly looked comfortable for 10 or 15 minutes while he was while he was in there. He's played as a in a three most of his time for Scotland and he's looked decent in there. Brown looked perfect, and you were right. Like that was one of my one of the biggest concerns I had at early doors in the season was how slow we were in transition and how slow we were in getting the ball through the lines. And I always felt it was because everything had to go through Brown. It felt like in the midfield. Yeah. Yep. But suddenly, him playing at the back, we looked a different side all of a sudden. And I agree with you. I thought for 65, 70 minutes at Ibrox on that Wednesday evening, for me, it was as it, it was as one of the finest performances I've seen from an Aberdeen team at Ibrox and in my living memory watching Aberdeen yeah. in terms of the way that we were we were brave on the ball we weren't just yeah. winning ball in, in defence and shelling up the park we were playing little triangles to get out and it was all synchronised everybody believed so in that system that you're describing if we were on the ball there was movement around the ball if we lost it there was coordinated movement about where we should be what should we be doing and partly because the, the you know the, the goals give massive energy and I believe partly that that's in it but it was painfully clear that, that was a side that, that believed in the manager's strategies that felt capable in no way were they intimidated not a bit of it you know as we, we've had very few moments of high comedy um in the season but Scott Brown's goal celebration we could count as so on that day yeah listen I, I knew I wouldn't be alone in thinking it but I think that or, or it, it appears to me that and I want to separate out here for anybody listening. Listen, it's 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 important. I, I I would imagine that there aren't too many listening that that adore Aberdeen Football Club more than I do. And that's partly because I'm not claiming to be, you know, the number one fan or Mr. Passionate. It's just that they're so linked into my sense of well-being, sense of self-respect that I've said it over and over again in other interviews that. It's it's infantile to to link your your sense of well being in the world to eleven fans who who can all be out of contract and disappear again. But if they're wearing that jersey, you know that's me out there. That's, they're, they're carrying my hopes and dreams, uh, and not just for the day, but just for uh, you know whether you walk like John Wayne or whether you walk like Wayne Bobbitt. You know that that's the effect they have on me. But and this is the reason I raise this. I'm fully aware that as when I give my pungent points of view sometimes, I'm not living in Aberdeen. I'm not travelling on the road to, to go to away games and coming home pissed off and angry. And if and if I ignored that that people will feel differently from me because they've shelled out hard cash and they, they've been on the road and they've had to drive back from Tiny, for example, or I don't know what St. Mirren call our part now, 
uh, once was Paisley. Um, what do you call it? What is it? Once was Love Street. That's the one. Then, then, you know, I'll have to back off about their level of of anger because I live in a different country and I go when I can, but it's a different experience and respect to those people, full respect to those people. But I guard my points of view anyway, and and you know, <clears throat> Kikodi was a shock for me, a real shock for me because I thought we'd. We've been not too bad first half at all, and didn't kill it. And then, and then we we were like a box. We were like, who's that idiot boxer who can't box? Who England thought was a world champion recently? Big used to be an enforcer for bad people. Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't fight, and and you know once he began to encounter fighters, when he took a hit. He, he did not defend himself, didn't know what was going on, but hold on a second, it's not supposed to be like this, so I'm on the gambits. And and we were too slow to everything against straight throwovers, we played too deep. I haven't checked, it's only memory that McGee played that day, and I still, at least that's my memory, at least I think, I, it is, yeah. I think he maybe came on, and and he's a guy who, he's my ball, but I think Scott Brown would testify from the days together at Celtic, he's a, he's a slightly more timid guy that you can't bully into saying, do this, do that, but he has to kind of come to it organically. And I, I still like his football. But on that day, we, and I think he, we were, as a midfield, we're too deep. We're allowing them so much room to build and to recuperate and punt the ball in. The more the ball comes in, the more that we panic. And um, I think that's a motif for the, for the season I'd watched, where um, we, we, we so often ran out of resources and so often went out on the pitch. I think the group of players that were turned out too often didn't really think that they were going to win. And and one of the things I take away from this season strongly is in any rebuild, in any better future, we need to be a thousand times more aggressive, a thousand times more competitive. From the days when I started going to Petodri in the late, late 60s as a, as a kid, through even when Jimmy Bontram was in charge, Alan McLeod, Big, Big Billy, and then, you know, on to Fergie, right throughout, although we weren't as successful in all those eras, we, we had guys who were out there on the pitch going, I'm not fucking getting pushed around by you. I'm going to go by you. I'm going to give me the ball. I'm going to enter. And right across this season, the occasions when our 11 plus however many subs we use haven't looked like that, that's pissed me off almost as much as anything. Yeah, Gav, Graham, I guess you, you can talk to that as well. I mean, you, we've been to the majority of the games. One of the three of us, at the very least, have been yeah. at, at, at a game this season. And, you know, you guys will talk to that as well, I think, Gav, Graham, about just that lack of aggression, almost. Not in an over-the-top aggression way, but in that, as, as you just touched on it there, Graham, you know, that, that will to not be beaten. Yeah. Sporting competitiveness, which, which you, 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 you need people that live and breathe that, that carry that about with them in everything they do. We've all, I guess, and, and I've been lucky enough to, to do so a lot, we've all met our playing heroes subsequently. And and you can, in everything they say and do, some of them I've got to know really, really well. And you can, you can feel their chippiness and you can feel their competitiveness in any subject that you go on to. And, you know, you know Fergie let the blue touch paper, fine. Okay, great. But he had the he had the clay, he had the party there. The materials were there, and I don't know if it's societal change. 
I don't know if if it's if it's that we were have been unable to scout people's personalities properly. Don't know. Don't know if the players after you know pandemic, they're human beings, felt a little bit battered, felt a little bit underwhelmed. There, there were players who come up from you know different countries, and you know they wouldn't tie their bollocks to a mast for the Aberdeen badge because it's just a different thing for them. Don't know. But what I do know is that if, irrespective of the quality that we had, if we don't add that element whereby my ball, getting after the referee, getting up, making the one-on-one player that you're in front of hate his afternoon, um, if we sniff a chance, if we sniff a weakness in the opposition, we, 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 we charge through it, we bully, we push the rules to the extreme, but we, we dominate the ball. We have the ball. That's our ball. And and we, we there, are, there are so many times across the season where I see the ball moved around and I'll see laterally corner Baron move into a space where the, the player who's either as a defender or a midfielder that's dropped deep, all they have to do is angle a ball that's probably about eight or nine metres. But it's, there's a space between two players and... and Instead of that, they'll pass it back or pass it sideways. It's like, no, you make the pass through the gap because that's your profession. And that then, it doesn't just do the, the supporters of the world, right, we're on the move forward. Every footballer I've ever talked about when I've said, this guy in your squad, that, that guy in your squad, he's always looking to move it forward. You know, he, he, he breaks a line with a pass. Suddenly they're on the turn, we're on the move. I want oceans more of that which is, is down to the day-to-day coaching. I think that's a very interesting point regarding the the characters within the squad, especially. And that kind of comes back to me for recruitment in the summer in particular. There was a huge overhaul of the squad. I think ultimately about 12 players arrived in the summer, very few of whom have been successes and very few will likely even be here next season that point about character and the will to win that competitive spirit. And it's like you say, you know, these guys are living our dreams at the end of the day. How does that make you feel then when you see Stephen Glass get, ultimately lose his job in February and then Christian Ramirez, for example, who has come here, um, said all the right things to begin with, but then ultimately, I don't think it's unfair to say has not been pulling his weight in the same way since Stephen Glass lost his job? Well, 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 well look, Gavin, um, first of all, watching him, um, I think his goal returned from the amount of quality ball he was given is quite high throughout thick and thin. So from the beginning of the season when maybe his touch wasn't in, but through difficult times uh, before uh, before Stephen was, was, was changed. I thought his work rate was was commendable. I don't think he's the most necessarily the most astute player about which centre I have to pick on, how to hold the ball up. But he's running and saying, "There's a there's a channel." His ability to to keep working. Um, he was very rarely downhearted and moping about the pitch when he got rubbish, you know, rubbish possession in certain games I watched. And therefore, I thought, you know, coming towards the three quarters mark of the season uh, my anticipation was I'd really love to see him when this team is is is, is dominant when it's woken up when the, when the ball into the box is better when the ball to his feet is better 
I'd like to see him when he's playing with a strike partner, um, who's probably more naturally a, a player that you would describe as a 10. So, you know, a young McGinn, for example, where there's subtlety, where the ball into the 10 can flick it on to Ramirez. And I, I, I think he's probably emblematic of what's going on and what we need to believe in for the season to come. Because I don't think... I, I, this is just an opinion, not a fact. I don't really think he's gone sulking about um, because Stephen isn't there anymore. Stephen, who I I still um, admire, um, I really like as a person. I think it's it's pretty clear that the vast majority of the players liked his coaching. Um, I understand why the board said this trajectory is bad. That the level of performance isn't good enough. Whether Changing him or not was was the only answer. It, it, Dave said very clearly in the interview that I did with him that they said, you know, we'll bring you in some experience as a helping hand um, at Christmas. I didn't know that offer was on the table. Had he, had he asked me for advice, I'd have said, take it, take it. Everybody, everybody benefits from somebody who's been the course before. Don't let pride stand in your way. And, and I wish he had taken that advice and, and found the right guy and... and Maybe it would have made a difference, maybe not. But the truth is, and you've asked me about Christian Ramirez, and that's why I'm talking with Stephen Glass, I still remain convinced he's a good coach. I have no doubts about that at all. Uh, young and, and new and first serious shot in charge of the team, these, these things can be debilitating. But my opinion, and the reason I call it a motif for what's coming, my opinion is, Jim Goodman's gone in there with a big stick, in my opinion, and, and said and done things that, um, some of the players have got the pin over and it really startled me um, to listen to him after the St. Johnson loss I'm sure it was the St. Johnson loss the midweek game yeah yeah yeah. at the end of the yeah. where he says to the interviewer I don't know if it was uh, Mal or maybe maybe it was Mal actually I don't think it was Richard Gordon I think it was Mal at least um, you know these these players have cost a good coach Stephen Glass's job already Fuck me, those are fighting words. Yeah. I've gone out and, and said that to Red TV without having said that to the players. And frankly, it was time that they were told that because there is not the, I will not accept the fact that the, the majority have gone out, gone out there to, to to cheat us or to, or can't be arsed or, I, I don't believe that. I believe that there's a, you know, there's a, a confidence crisis that has spread like wildfire. There's been um, disruption with, um, you know, the departure of the manager, the departure of Scott Brown. I, I don't, <clears throat> truthfully, I don't believe, although, you know, it, it was noticeable in the first third of the season that there were some quite well-worked set plays that either resulted in goals or were, were, were clearly synchronised again. And your man, with the Ferrari driver, um, I think everybody loved him parking right up next to the dressing door. That was... That was a really smart move. Um, not. It, 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 the early part of the season made it seem like there was some talent there and some some good ideas. I don't think he's been a very popular employee, to, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not quite sure he understood the nature of Aberdeen and Aberdonians and, mm-hmm. and some of his players. But the, the disruption and the confidence crisis that has eaten like wildfire through the, the squad has left the players, I think, in need of somebody who says, "This is you're doing this. Don't, don't, don't talk back. 
don't interpret. This is how we play. It, for, for, the, for the next foreseeable future, it's military. You do this when you're on the ball. You do this when you're not on the ball. If your playing partner is there, this is where you are. That's my rule. That's my law. Because that's how you arrest um, a team that doesn't believe in itself anymore, a team that's making runs or making passes, going, well, this is, go- this is coming straight back at me. And that's what I was watching, you know, in, in the in the lap part of the scene. Yeah, apart from, for example, the, the the Dundee United game, which I think was Jim Goodwin's first match in charge, we should have punted the Arabs for five, and uh, you know I thought we distinctly outplayed them. Um, it, it was a day when Vicente Biswine was on, you know, really interesting form, and we corner Baron looks like a future Ballon d'Or. I love that player, love that boy so much. I'll give us another ten, again another ten like him. But but I'd also say, listen, and I don't know if it's popular or unpopular, but Conti's injury. You know, I, I don't think anybody anybody said that at this age we asked him to be, you know, a twenty-four year old Franz Beckenbauer. But fuck my old sea boots. Without him, we, we we're worse. With his 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 self belief, his will to win, his attitude. His competitive spirit. Every division of a team is better. The fans have got somebody they identify with on the pitch. Having him out for so long was 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 disastrous, absolutely disastrous. And it, it shouldn't be because we should probably have five or six like him in the team. Uh, maybe not born and bred dandies, but that's the DNA that we're looking for now. And and again, I don't have an explanation for this. And although I I am one of those who's got much, and I stress much more time for Dave Cormack than, than I see some people on social media um, expressing real knee-jerk stuff. It was a mistake that, that we, we didn't have Darren Mowbray in before the end of the, the summer market. It, that, that was an error. A, a, apparently, it, it's, it was an unavoidable one because of availability. Okay, but it's cost us a lot. It's cost us a huge amount. And I'm, and I'm I personally am convinced about the structure that the manager gets to have a yay or nay in certain players you know that are coming in but it's not the manager and and, a, and, a, and an agent pal that's doing the signing which it was you know prior to Stephen Glass it has to be a combination of the the head of scouting and the and the director of football and the board and then the manager says yeah you've met you've met my request yeah I'll take it like, you've given me a choice of so yeah, I said I wanted this position and this type of player. I see the three you've offered me. This is the one I prefer. That, yeah. That's how it should work. And I believe that our structure is right. We, it, it's yet to be proven necessarily that we have the, the, the right three men. And you know, it's a new role for Stephen Gunn. Much more testing. I don't know Darren Mowbray and I, and I, and I don't yet know uh, Jim Goodman. So their skills need to fit into what I would consider to be the right structure to solve some of the problems that we've seen. But I've, I've leapt away from Conci. And um, I'm not talking about whether the club chose to let him go or not let him go. I'm not talking about the fact that somebody in his camp um, leaked the story to that Muppet, Scott Burns. Um, I say that because he had a pop at me, so fuck him. Um, but Conci's absence was fundamental this season. It's really not helped us at all in any way, shape, or form. Um, Gav was in the stadium the last game of the season. You'll talk to yourself, Gav, about how Simran didn't come here with any real intention to win the game, I don't think. Um, but we I looked. Mean, 
way more comfortable at the back with Constantine in there for what was he in 55 60 minutes 55 uh 45 I mean, he basically went off as soon as the second half started okay. really don't yeah. know if that was a premeditated thing or not so he got the ovation uh the noticeable thing as well was that David Bates in turn looked so much more comfortable at right center back and it allowed yeah. him to make use of his footballing ability yeah but you, you did that's exactly right because he he has shown little instances of how he can play and I know somebody that's in his entourage and I've actually just by fluke I very nearly went to go and see him play for Hamburg in the in the German Pokal um, a couple of years ago just because I was interested in a, in a youngish Scott surviving okay in the, in the second Bundesliga but when he's asked to play off his left foot that's that's one of our you know top two or three decisions now in the summer about making sure that we have a very confident very commanding left-footed centre-back um, so that we get the, the most out of Bates because I, I don't think that we've consistently seen the best of him yet. I do think, I do have faith that there's uh, not only a, a decent central defender there but a footballer in there too. But your point about how, how you know, against the mirror in the last day of the scene, suddenly he was being asked to do the things that he said, oh, yeah, this is what I'm paid for and, and looked a little bit more comfortable. And then, of course, Gallagher came on for Constantine. The two switch over, and suddenly, there you are again. The left foot is yeah. uh, grossly uh, less, far less confident, to say the very, very least there. There's, again, there's so much to unpack about what you've just said there, Graham. But if we just go back to that point about players, I think you're right. Jim Goodwin's gone in with the stick and said, listen, this is not acceptable. I think that's in opposition to perhaps the carrot approach that Stephen Glass has taken in terms of just, you know, trying to keep the confidence up by sheer positive reinforcement. Do you think that's something that he needs to take forward in his, if he wants to pursue a management career, that he needs to sort of have the ability in that man management? I'd be, I'd be slow to, to draw big conclusions from a, whatever it was, a, um, was it a six-month reign. I can't remember the exact arithmetic. I mean, ultimate was 11 months, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I was I was eliminating the the, the pick up the pieces of the uh, other yeah. season, and I was talking. There's only my interpretation there. I'm not I'm not in any way correcting you. My my feeling, my interpretation was that I was counting from, say, July to to February, and to draw big conclusions about um, Stephen, I think would be it's something I would avoid because I think there are elements of perfect storm going on here for almost all the principal players. Mm. And 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 I, I think this is going to sound... And I, I, listen, I don't care if it sounds pompous. I, I fundamentally, fundamentally believe that in a lot of journalism and in a lot of fan comments, we notice things, we draw conclusions, but when we get angry, we say, I bet it should be like this, and we forget the conclusion that we've just... We, we, we don't continuously go, yeah, but house building starts with the, the basement. So, for my taste, anybody who wants to comment on, on Stephen Glass needs to go, right, wait a second, does it or doesn't it matter the fact that the recruitment was done without the kind of head of recruitment guy? And so we mentioned that earlier in this chat. We all acknowledge that it would be joined up thinking, I'd be signed Darren Mowbray at a stage of probably exactly a year ago today, 
He'd had the summer to be working on, bringing his contacts in, be working with Stephen Glass and the board and say, OK, not only do we understand keenly which positions need filled, but we keenly understand what type of person is needed, yeah. what age profile, what pace, what height, what ability foot-wise, you know, have we got Have we got an imbalanced... Right? So if we've all agreed all of that, which is just rudimentary stuff, are we saying that's irrelevant to how Stephen Glass's side has performed during his reign? It's not irrelevant. It's fundamental. So your question was, do you think maybe he was a little bit too um, encouraging and, listen, lads, stick with me and we'll play well and I'm going to teach you and all that compared to Big Stick? Well, it takes all sorts. It takes all sorts. And I, I believe that in, in the little I've seen of him in person, I believe Stephen Glass has got you know, clear-cut ideas and the ability to say, people, stop doing that or you're dropped. I, I, I believe that to be the case. Might he have learned to occasionally be a bit harsher with people during this term? Yeah, maybe he can speak for himself on that. But without being all defensive, because I watched games where I was like, "It's not a spark of life there." I don't like what I'm seeing. I disbelieve how we can play. Like, what was the game after Ibrox? I can't remember, but I watched it hearts. too. We played against Hearts, and it was poop. And, and look, so my respect for Stephen Glass remains high because the, the word from the players remains that he was a good coach. Yeah, I mean, that. this is where I have, like, this. I have a huge element of sympathy still with the, the, the scenario that Stephen Glass ended up in um, because the, the bits I've heard from first-team players who are, who are at Pataudre is that as a coach, he was excellent. They loved working with him on the training field. Absolutely loved it. Training was first class every day. Different yeah. ideas, different things going on. They loved that part of it, absolutely. Um, some of the feedback I've heard from other guys is around maybe just not quite there yet as a manager, but as a coach. Brilliant. And that was where it come in. That, that brings into that the element you just spoke about earlier on, Graham, about if he was offered and you know taking in an experienced hand around him in kind of Christmas, January time, you know, maybe that would have made a big difference to him. That that coaching team was very, very inexperienced in a Scottish football environment. Totally right. And I'd have said to him, I was reporting in England, the season when Alex said um, to his Manchester United boys and the Cathy and the kids, you know, I'm chucking in at the end of the season. And like an idiot, um, one of his rare real down moments, he told it, he told the, he told the, the players and, and and Darren Ferguson, uh, sorry, Jason Ferguson and Michael Crick. I was working at the mail, they phoned us up and said, listen, we will bring you this story because we trust you to do it right. And Michael Crick said, listen, if you phone the house, you get you won't get Alec, but you'll get Jason. And I said, listen, Jason, you, we believe that your dad has said, and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, listen, if you're asking me for sure, is my dad going to be Manchester United coach next season? He's not. He's going to quit in this. He's going to re retire now. Frank, great. We ran the story and all that kind of stuff. It was out because it was trickling out at that stage. And you'll all remember that the inevitable thing happened. All the players' heads went down. The, the performances went down. And what Alex Ferguson's, what Sir Alex Ferguson do? He went to Walter Smith. He said, come into the dressing room. Help me. You handle the players. I'll stand back. I'll think about strategy. I'll think about what I'm wanting to do. But you'll be running the players now. So if, if, if it was good enough for Fergie, Memory tells me they they maybe got to a maybe got to an FA Cup final at the end of the season again. It's a point I haven't checked. So I didn't know we were going to talk about it, but I have talked to players who worked under Watsmith. Well, yeah, the instant impact it changed the mood. <laughs> it was intimidating, but now 
had I been asked at the time, I would have said to Stephen, like you, my ego would say, oh, no, resist, resist, resist. But my advice is say yes and bridge the gap until the end of the season and 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 maybe cope differently and and and, and maybe by by you know you put people in debt by accepting you know when they when they want a favor from you but also when they want to help you and if you said to the board yeah okay I'll take your suggestion then probably their hand would have been stayed in terms of how long he was he was given and I think strategically that might have been a good idea for them. Yeah and it's this is it's 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 quite interesting that we've spoken a lot about recruitment again tonight because this for me was one of the, the one of the key tidbits that kind of came out during your interview with Dave Cormack that, that you did on Red TV recently was when the admission came out about the fact that Dan Mowbray wasn't actually in the role until September because up until that point most of us had been speculating he was probably in at the back end of August but working on timelines if you, if you go he's working on a two or three month notice for example whatever at Burnley and all this so you kind of thought okay maybe his fingerprints were over some of the latter signings that came in at the end of that window but then when you found out, actually, no, he wasn't in the door until September, that's when you start working all the way back and you go, well, hang on, wait a minute. Like, this is, like, for me, it's inexcusable to decide to go, we, we're going to get rid of Derek McInnes in March. We're going to move to a structure which is this more kind of continental style, head of recruitment, director of football, head coach, manager, whatever. But if you're going to do that, I was always of the opinion you need to fill those key roles in order, almost, you have to put all the right places on the chessboard for this to work. And 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 Dave Cormack made a big thing when there was a lot of criticism about Stephen Glass's appointment, about whether it was seen to be, you know, a, a job for a mate and all that kind of stuff that was out there. There was a large element was put out there about the fact that eighty percent of the candidates who applied for the job had been disregarded because they wanted full control of recruitment, and that was not what we were going to do. And you're like, okay, fine, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that from a structural perspective makes sense perfect but to then find out that then you've basically discounted a bunch of guys because they don't get full say on recruitment and then say to a, a rookie manager coming into his first real real job you know i know he was in an interim charge at atlanta um i know he worked with a lot of united two etc but big high profile job you're saying to him before he signs on the dotted line right we're gonna have head recruitment all this but by the way see the summer window where you've got a whole bunch of roles you need to fill because the squad was thin on the ground when he came in the door and then say actually none of these boys are here to help with this this is kind of sitting on you now that's a huge huge ask for a guy coming in the door who's who at the times has not has been away from the scottish game for a while there's no argument about that whatsoever but again you you know you've put a jigsaw on the table there were lots of different moving pieces um look how we look how he's played this scene look at the fact that i had to remove a manager which i found deeply sad uh, look how we've finished in the table. Um, look how the, the the general mass of fans feel. There's no escaping any of those truths, right? That's a fact. But when we talk about Stephen Glass and we talk about the way in which the players were pretty enchanted by his his training methods and his vitality, and they convinced him, I think we have to be careful in what we say about um, the way in which Dave Cormack and presumably the rest of the board were convinced or enchanted by Stephen Glass. It the whole thing has turned out not to have worked. That's that's inarguable, it's unquestionable. But I can understand in the process of recruitment where you're going, yeah, this guy's right. This guy's right. Um, he's convincing, he's articulate, um, he's giving up a lot to come. 
Now, the whole package hasn't worked, but I can understand why he was appointed, where the joined-up thinking didn't come about, well, what if him being appointed, having been away from Scotland for a long time, and with Scott Brown somewhere between an unpitched general and a, a pretty opinionated second guy, and we don't have a head of recruitment, and we're changing the model, and it's all happening at the same time, then, then probably the idea that there might be a perfect storm spiralling out of that situation, that's something that I would have liked to have thought somebody in a position of, and I, I mean, across the board, we've got a board for a reason, um, would have said, no, listen, this, this is brewing badly here, or potentially badly. But then again, in the beginning of the season, as you pointed out, um, with, the, with the games against the, the Swedes and the Icelandics, and a reasonable away performance against Karabakh, I suppose. Um, there must have been a, pe- a number of people across the club going, yeah, just actually, yeah, I think we've maybe got this right. This is, this is okay. Yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? It's the it's the the nature of the beast with this. But it's, it's when you start putting the pieces together, you're just like, uh, you know, it just doesn't hang right from my perspective. A red light, a red light could have gone on. Yeah. When you look at all the parts and think, well. Might there be a deficiency here because of the way in which we've created this situation? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know the ins and outs of against whom Darren Mulvey won his post or I, I don't have personal experience yet about whether he's so good that it was worth waiting until September for him. I, I don't know. That, that decision-making process... I have no knowledge of whatsoever. And the proof I mean, of that will come in the next few transformators. What will we actually see? So much, so much. You know, influence so on, on things is going to is going yeah. to bring. Let's take it to February, Graham. It's the we were told literally, I think minutes after the full time whistle at Fir Park in the Scottish Cup that Stephen Glass was gone. I think it was announced a couple of days later. What were your feelings? Did you think that ultimately that was the right decision to make? Um, I felt deeply, deeply sad. And I think that if if you've you know been a Pataudry watcher, a Pataudry fan so long that I've seen, I actually haven't counted how many managers have seen come and go. Uh, some of them uh, I, I disputed the wisdom of, of, of the decision. And, and in this instance, I could understand why a board would be jumpy. I could understand why not the, not the league position, not all of the results, but the trend of us playing in a way that looked spiritless, where we were getting pushed about where too often a first goal would beat us and too often as well if we were one up that didn't necessarily breed a security. And I could imagine, you know, a group of people who have invested money in the club doing a sort of extrapolation about, well, if this continues to May, what level of danger are we in? I would love to have seen a different solution. And that's not just a, a romantic notion. When... You, you listen to Stephen Glass, you see, well, there's decency. Um, when you get vibes from the training ground that he could coach well, I would have loved to think that potentially there were other solutions. Um, and often when I'm either on radio or television or on writing, having been sacked from the other record shop myself, and having been ushered out of one uh, newspaper by uh, not armed guards, but by security. Um, I know what it feels like. And I try to introduce humanity and objectivity into any kind of 
well, this is time for that manager. It's time to, because you're, you're talking about somebody's life, you're talking about their family, you're talking about their dignity, you're talking about, you know, an awful lot of pain, even if they're well compensated. And therefore, the thing I'll say to you is that had you asked me in February, had you placed me, you know, hypothetically in charge of the board or in charge of the club, my decision would always have been based upon, well, if we're sitting weighing this up, what are the alternatives? One of the alternatives is to insist on experience being grafted into the coaching team. The board patently felt it was too late for that. Another really clear criterion for me would be like, if we sack, who next? And I didn't know um, the candidates. Um, I've been away for so long, not just from Scotland, but from England too, so long that it would be it would be wrong of me to say I knew what I would do then or not even now retrospectively. My, I'll only have my first ever big discussion with Jim Goodwin this week. I'll be really interested to, to, to listen to him, to get his measure, because patently when he speaks on television or radio, there's a guy who uses self-belief. His achievements so far have been notable. Um, clubs prior to us, I mean. Um, he, he's articulate. Um, when I speak to people at the club, it's uh, and I'm talking about a range of them. It, it's clear he's in an impact. So um, I, I don't know is, is the answer. I, I very rarely say I don't know to a direct question, but I think it's fair to include the fact that in, in any situation where you've got to make a really serious decision, you must always understand what are the repercussions, what are the next steps. What is it they all say? Always have a always have an exit plan. My exit plan was non-existent because I genuinely believed that Stephen would see the season out, you know, as we began it. Um, and I didn't know enough about the... I think, was it you that I was texting with once the decision had been made about Stephen? I, I was interested in whether or not we could attract Jody Morris um, because I think really highly of him and, you know, he's, he's, he's spent a happy time of his life in Scotland. It's not as if Metropolitan boy would turn his nose up at work in Scotland because he's shown he liked it in, in Perth. And the, there was obviously a clear and rapid move for Jim Goodwin, who it's now retrospectively really obvious was on the list, you know, when um, Derek McInnes was removed, but was less available or more costly. But, but one of the oldest things in football is that clubs go and buy the striker or keeper or, or manager that they couldn't get the first time they tried. Very often people store that knowledge, that desire away and go back again. So I think we've made quite a traditional move in, in that Jim Goodwin was, was, was on a list um, when, when Derek McInnes was, was removed and, 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 and possibly again, um, I think became the head of the list in February because either it was, I don't know about the compensation, but I think it was markedly cheaper to do Let's talk about Jim Goodwin for a little bit. Um, just your initial impressions on what he's done. No, that's, that's... It's a hard, hard situation he's come into. I've only been at that one game, which I thought was a, a hugely promising debut. And if I'm not wrong, I think we went then and lost the following week, maybe even at Motherwell. That's I'm um, not sure that's right. We drew with Motherwell. We, we certainly, that could be drew with Motherwell. We, di we didn't, I don't think we took the same format of the game where I was hugely excited by what I saw. You know, I, I, we were a little bit blunt up front, but boy, 
we should have pumped them. And uh, maybe there was an atmosphere about, you know, the, the, the statue and Alec being there and Gordon Strach and, and, and Willie the, the previous day and so on and so forth. And the fact that it was, the, you know, the Arabs, maybe everybody got the dander up, I don't know. But again, without ducking, Gav, you know, I, I, I try in life, I may fail, but I try not to be hypocritical. And I hate pundits who come on and ex-players, journalists, ex-managers, I don't care, who just open their mouth and say, well, here's my opinion, you know, fucking this will make a headline. Bollocks to that. I haven't seen his teams often enough, although he's sitting there and, you know, did us in one of the one of the early games that, that you know, I didn't enjoy watching. Um, when I think we scored one of those set set plays that were pre-rehearsed. That's correct, yeah, Ramirez. Ramirez, yeah. And, um, you, you know, you, 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 I've watched the matches and I've wondered, never mind this fabled bounce when you get a new manager. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that because I think that, that Stephen Glass was a popular man. And, and you usually get a manager bounce when, when you're when they're quite like, oh, phew, thank God he's gone in. Right, turn the page and, and you and everybody's up for it again. Well, I, I, I didn't expect that to happen, but because um, people spoke well to me about, um, did he did he also coach at Aloha as well as St. Mirren? That's correct, yeah. Started at Aloha. People spoke quite well about it. And I, I went to a couple of ex-pros, a couple of journalists that I trust, an ex-referee, and I'm like, yeah, organised. They would say to me that, he wasn't shy of a red card as a player, but as a coach, he's very strong on discipline and, and trying to make sure that his players keep a living on the pitch. And, and therefore, there's a you know, poacher turn gamekeeper idea. The reputation he had was that his teams were were organised and that were competitive and hard to break down. And I thought, well, well, good, super. You know, if, if we have to change, then let it be for the good. His personality shines. I don't think there's any doubt that his personality shines. And we haven't seen the benefits. And, and it would be stupid of me, it would be wrong of me to say I know why, because I don't. Um, but that's been hugely disappointing that we haven't seen players who are like, ah, I see what we're doing here. Right? I'm responding. Like, okay, maybe we've only drawn instead of winning, or maybe we've lost narrowly instead of drawing. But look, the pattern's emerging. The, the understanding is emerging. And, and really, so far, we haven't seen that. And, and that's why I picked on his comments in, in Perth. Those were ultra dramatic. Because there's a guy who's who's, who's clear at the conclusion. If I don't, you know, tow these guys in the arse, it's been my job on the line too. And and the, that was a really, really, really dramatic interview. And for anybody who travelled down there at New York Park or whatever they call it now, but Dermot Park, maybe they were standing there going, I manager, get that's brilliant. Get get torn right into them. Because if you've been late uh, up like driving down taking half a day off work and you're, you're home late and you've spent all your money on that and you're like, petrol costs a bomb these days. Presumably you went away from that fuming, but so was he. So, look, um, I, 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 I want to see uh, what he's got to say when, when I talk to him and then I want to see from, from pre-season on how we change in personality, how, how his imprint is on either players who he said, you can stay, albeit that they didn't perform. I want to see if there's a click, particularly between if we can maintain Ferguson and if we can, you know, we, we've invested heavily in McCrory. I want to see players like McCrory and Ferguson 
and, and Bates. And I'll come to the fullbacks in a minute. I want to see them going, ah, this is a, this is a, that's a voice I understand. That's a message that I understand. I'm going to play chest out, front foot. I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to be more disciplined in my decision making. I, I want to see that from the players that you can you can plainly see or have ability, but are potentially underperforming. Um, and the fullbacks, like there's a there's a huge for for my taste. McKenzie might not have you know had the, had the bright shining flare of the meteor that that was Calvin Ramsey Ballon d'Or um, to, to to begin with. But Calvin can really play. His his judgment about when to attack, when to hold, where my man is, what my responsibilities are, what formation I'm playing against, that <laughs> they show all the signs about what is he, 18, 19? Correct me if I'm wrong. 18. Yeah, 18. 18 yeah. An 18-year-old in his first full season. Well, some of his judgment shows I I I, I was ready to fucking punch people about all this. No, he's no good. I mean, why you like stick it up your fucking arse? What are you talking about? He lacks experience. He lacks a little bit of positional judgment, and he needs to be coached. And then there'll potentially be a debate about, well, is he a right midfielder? You know, is is he potentially somebody? Or, or if we play wing backs, is he somebody who'll be much more comfortable in a wing back where the liberty to attack doesn't relieve you of defensive duties? But it does mean that the things he does well become of higher premium. If we're playing with four at the back and three in the middle, or four in the middle, is he potentially automatically the wide midfielder who adds to a, you know a defender behind him, so that we've got a pair there working in tandem. That Calvin Ramsey is the one who's who's got more liberty to either use the ball or, or to run down the touchline. Mackenzie's absence through injury. I think Mackenzie is a tiny bit older. Is he? Again, I'm. I'm reaching there without having checked. I feel McKenzie's again, close to 21. I think McKenzie's even 22, 22. I think actually Jack McKenzie, he's, 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 he's a few years older. He's one where it's obviously not make or break, but he kind of should be in and around the first team of the age he's at. So he is a little bit on from Ramsey. He's been a bit more of a slow burn to get to where he's got yeah, to. That's a better way. I wish I'd reached for that phrase initially. Correct. That's all I'm trying to get to. When I watch him, I see again, things that are fundamentally good about him and particularly in a moment whereby we have positions other than one he occupies where it's ragingly obvious we need to not only invest well in terms of wages and outlay to 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 to, to buy or to loan a player but we have to get the right character so there's, there's major operations going in other areas whereby uh, that that guy's that guy for what where we're at right, right now only needs coaching only needs education about decision making and use of the ball. But for my view, again, athleticism, competitive spirit, ability to bounce back from setbacks. Overall, I like what I'm seeing. The fact that on the other side is a slightly younger guy whose distribution with his right foot from set plays or open play is very good, albeit his only goal came off his left foot. So it's unfair to compare the, yeah. the two because they're different types. But for my taste, um, they remain bonuses in the season. Now, another thing that I, I, I want to see so much is that Conor Bannon may be young. He may have played half the season at Kelty, and he may be quite quite wee. But I want the ball played to him when he asks for it. Yeah. I want other teams to have to go right. Well, and and fuck me, I want referees to go like, well, if they're if they're just if they're just trying to knock him over and kick him off the bar, we'll punish you. 
And I want our players to be on the referee all the time. Do you remember when, like, <laughs> when Fergie said to the team, um, relatively new in the door, having a Jim Goodwin effect and pissing everybody off by, by demanding new standards. He's like, well, he can't be the one who's arguing at the referee all the time. Don't, he, he can't be Willie all the time because Willie would be haranguing the referee on his own all the time. Fergie was like, that duty gets handed out. It's got to be in a cycle of people. Otherwise, he's suspended every season, all season. So, right, that's what they do. Well, when's that happening? It's not happening. It's not. And if, if the referees can't be trusted to referee our games accurately or honestly... So we need to take it in our own hands to be in their heads all the time. I'm sorry, it's true. And one of the things I saw in, in the United game fair play was Tim Goodman's not shy about that. He was, I don't know if to call it the fourth official now or is it the 72nd official, the number of people hanging around that. <laughs> but like I said, he was on him and into him and all the time. And not like in, in a way where the guy's going to be fearful for his life or automatically giving you a yellow or a red card. But in him, into his decision making, into his head, into that. Look, I'm watching that. You've seen that. That's what I've seen. Rev, come on. I want that culture from top to bottom in our club. I want us to be the smartest, the shrewdest at that, from, from fucking tea ladies to the staff in, in, in the management team. I want that. And it, and it needs to be dinned into people's DNA every single day. You compete to be at this club. You compete to be in the team. You compete not to wear the dunces jersey in training. You compete, compete to be in the starting 11. And then, and then it's more. Every opponent, every other team, it's us or you. It's me or you. That's, and, you know, I'll I, I wait and see whether Jim Goodwin can teach that. But it, but it certainly seems to be the spirit he lives and breathes, in my opinion. Apparently, at least. No? I think right there we've answered the question about aspirations for next season for Graham Hunter. No, I want a trophy. You know, I see all, all the flipping numpty teams all around Scotland Winning a trophy since we slaughtered in Minas Cali, nil nil on penalties. <laughs> um, I want to go to Hamden. Um, by preference, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd like to go down there against one of the, you know, two Glasgow teams, the two Edinburgh teams, and beat them. That's what I want, and and I want that to be our objective. I, I don't want to have people talking about, like, say, further up the table and. Blah blah blah, or I mean, Europe. I love you know from the first time I saw RWD Molenbeek, or I can't remember if it was them or Eintracht Frankfurt. It was the first European game I saw. I can't remember, but I was like, this is different. This is special. I don't know why I fell head over heels in in love with beating European teams, but I did. You know, I was young. There's there's nothing really to explain it, but it's still been my addiction. It's why I've moved abroad. It's why I care about the Champions League or the Europa League Cup winners Cup more than probably domestic competition. But um, that's our that's our task. Winning habits are 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 fueled by 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 lifting trophies, and then going, yeah, you beauty, that's what it feels like. I'll bring back Willow Flood and big old Rooney and the young Johnny. You know what I mean? Just got Irish, lots of Irish, lots of Irish lads. That's what we need. Well, we've got the manager, so let's see where we go from now on. Um, but that's, it's the interesting part about this as well, though, isn't it? That people keep on looking now and going, oh, it's going to be like two or three windows now to get this right. And I, I look and I go, I understand where you're coming from from that perspective. But at the same time, look at Hearts this season. Like, Hearts recruited really well in the summer. And they've been benefited hugely by the fact that the rest of the league fell over to give them third spot 
basically unchallenged. But they've got there, they got to the Scottish Cup final, they were they were poor um in the Scottish Cup final, it's fair to say they didn't really land a glove on on uh, on Rangers at all in the final, but it doesn't need to be this long transition. If we get our recruitment right in the summer and we get a way of playing and we make ourselves horrible, horrible to play against, hopefully but a bit easy on the, on the eye. Yeah, you know, as you say, not giving referees any sort of quarter against us. It's not out with the realms of possibility to be right back where we where we should be um, in terms of our budget and everything next season. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, 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 okay, so, sorry, Cap, go on. I was going to say, unearth one or two Vicentes, yeah. one or two more Connor Barons well, and get the spirit of Ross McClory in there. Well, look, um, you know, the fact that we're dealing with Juventus and, and trying to get some of our Primavera squad at minimum interests me. The fact that we are now regularly scouting European games um, on information and, and Y-Scout um, analysis that suggests one player, but you go and the history of football is littered, littered with Champions League winners who were scouted by accident. I went to see the number five and I came away with the number 17. Yeah. It's just, um, I, I imagine, I don't know the numbers, but I imagine that we still don't have as many outlying scouts as we're going to need if we're going to compete. But I do believe that the appetite at the club is is to is to change that. And that listen, you haven't asked me, but I want to say one one thing that well, um, my judgment of uh, the chairman is that um, I I understand that there's a there's a division growing between fans who, who are saying, I, I haven't enjoyed this. I don't like the way things look and feel. And they've gone, well, hold on. I feel a little bit um, unappreciated and, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. And so that division happens when a club is underachieving. And I think that's reasonably natural. I think it must be uncomfortable for him to suffer. And I, I'm a chippy fucker. So if it were me, I'd be probably being much less uh, restrained than he is. But I'm, I'm, I'm now speaking utterly objectively, and, and I mean this passionately. It angers me a lot that the things that that board, and I do not mean Dave individually or solely, have achieved seem to count for nothing or, or seem to be tossed away, like the way that we behaved in the pandemic with the staff like the amount of money that was invested in the club when we were patently losing revenue hand over fist. And it was a, a couple of million invested so that people kept jobs. I think that's fucking important. I was really yeah. proud of the club. I don't have the numbers, but the you know during the pandemic, they were putting out, this is the number of people, vulnerable people we've phoned or visited and food parcels that we've sent out. I was like, fuck my old boots. That's, you know, I want a, a third star before anybody else gets a second one and I want to win the league again in my lifetime and I believe that we will and I want to stick it to Rangers and Celtic season in, season out fine, I do want that but I want to feel proud of the club I'm proud that there's a training ground there um, I, I I don't quite see where 80 million to build a new stadium can come from but I believe that we're trying I thoroughly believe that to move to some old other poxy site that isn't the beach could have been a death knell, could have been a relegation death knell for our club. A, a stadium in a place that people aren't used to getting to at a time when we're not playing great football. 
people lose the habit, lose the passion, and suddenly we're in fucking second division. You know, I was petrified of that. And and this board has 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 done something about it. So um all I all I would all, all my perspective is, lads, and, and people can like it or have a pop at it as they choose, that balance and and an ability to, to take in all aspects while we're analysing what's gone wrong on the football side, how we would have done it differently and always how we'd have done it better. Um, and we've got impatience to, to play better, to be more competitive, to, to not go to Pataudry and think, well, we might not score today. Impatience there is natural, but I cannot abide um, this quite northeast thing about hitting out. I just he's 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 working on himself and all this kind of stuff. I that's that's pish. You know, there's a balanced picture about I think the majority of the people um who, who support the club, I think, thought Derek McKinnis did a good job, but that we were coming to a break point. My personal opinion is that without him no recognizing it necessarily, I think Derek had reached that reached that break point about a season before. He's spoken about it subsequently and said that he admits that possibly a break for both parties was coming and he'd like to see the end of the season. Well, Keris board confronted that. But from transition comes threat and stress. And that's what we're suffering at the moment. Don't defend it. I've hated lots of it. And there are patent mistakes. But I think we need to toughen up. And also I think we need to be rages behind the team, not getting at the club. I want, you know, it starts... It starts with us. I think the fans have been the stars of the season. If you look at the gates, and if you look at particularly the away support, I, I, I think the fans stand out as probably <laughs> the number one thing of the entire season, in, in my opinion. But including social media, including people who want to, to re- renew their season tickets. And, and you know, there, there are a lot of people, I don't know, there, there, people have different concerns from me, different ideas different life experiences. I see a lot of people going, I'm in DNA and not very impressed with it. Everybody's welcome to their opinion. It's your own pocket. But I see us sending little um, youth teams off to, to tournaments. It was about four, five, six weeks ago when we went to a tournament in Portugal and got sucked into gigantic clubs of European standing who've got much bigger, much well-funded um, academies than we do. And we, we, we go toe-to-toe with them. And we're now on everybody's lips across Europe as an invite. To, to be to be taken to, to, to tournaments whereby it's not all flowers and everybody's a winner and well done lads and lasses and pat on the head and go home shite. These tournaments are used by those other clubs to 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 train competitiveness, to train winning attitudes, and we're being invited there because they think that we'll give them a good test. These are all intangible ideas when you're losing one nil at fucking Hearts on a on a cold November Wednesday night. I admit, but I see, I see green shoots. There you go. I see dead people as well. No, that's a, that's a film, isn't it? <laughs> that seems to me to be a very apt place to finish things up this evening. Before I, before I swear anymore. No, no, the swear is absolutely fine, mate. Not a problem. Not a problem. I've got some housekeeping I need to do as the producer of this show. Um, Graham, as you may remember, our maiden voyage. You were our first guest, and. You were incredible that night. It was it was fantastic stuff. And we use a software that people will become very well familiar with during lockdown. And at the bottom right corner, there's a red button that says end. And yours truly thought that meant end recording. 
it meant end meeting so we kicked you off as to the curb as quickly as we could and i was like i don't need long to catastrophize a lot a lot lot of people do this a lot lot of people do this to me after one i do not need long to catastrophize like oh fuck oh no he's gonna be on he's gonna be in touch with everyone that's any relevance to us blacklisting us (laughs) you've been an incredible supporter of this podcast so thank you for that no, I think it's healthy what you do. I, I, uh, I'm talking about the, the 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 way you communicate issues about the club to fans. Um, I also individually, I like it when people say this is what I want to do and just get out and do it. I mean, you've got better equipment there than fucking gramping. I think I look at all those mics, the six or seven thousand <laughs> pounds per ice, and sorry, sorry, I got all burgers listening on that. But no, don't tell, listen, don't tell the, the wife. The fact that you've, the fact that you've, uh, man, I'm always doesn't care what you spend your money on. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fact that you've, you've decided as a group, this is what we're going to do. Um, it's well within our grasp, and then you've gone out there and punched your weight. That's all we're asking of the team. So well done, news. Cheers, Graham. Really appreciate it. All the best uh, for the summer, and uh, hopefully. Up the dandies, up the dandies, and and did you know? Did you know? I may have mentioned this before, but like. There's only one team in Scotland that's got two European stars and it's neither of the ugly sisters. Thank you. <laughs> it got a wee bit scary yeah. last week, but hey, we're still there. Never in doubt. Never in doubt. <laughs> Love it. Game Hunter, stand free. How are dandies? And so that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 46, where we'll bring you part two, oh, part two, of our deep dive review of the 21-22 campaign. We'll do that in the company of the one and only Tom Watt making his hat-trick appearance, I think that's right. This is Tom's third appearance, yeah, and he gets to go over that night at Dens Park again. Jammy bastard. (laughs) What a night, and we can... Tom's a PR guy. He can talk about the sports sound thing all over again as well. Delightful. <laughs> and we'll bring you any developments of any transfer news. I mean, who are we kidding? Um, at Audrey over the next week or so as and when it happens. We look forward to seeing you then. Stan Free. Have we confirmed that Michael Devlin's left? He has left, He's yeah. not on the list. <laughs> He's not on the list, is he? <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake